Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, and I'm a fool, but an honest fool I remain. And I'm Caroline Sita, and a day may come when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day! And here we are, at the end of all things. The way that this podcast usually works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love, but we've been shaking things up this holiday season and talking about, like, a dozen or so actors we love. All the actors we love. With our three-part discussion of the ensemble acting in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And today, we are finally tackling the trilogy capper that grossed over $1 billion and won all 11 Oscars it was nominated for, 2003's The Return of the King. And to help us break down this beloved film and its many, many endings, we are thrilled to be joined by a very special guest we're very excited about. You might know her as Vicky on The Fairly Odd Parents, Fairly Otter, Lydia from The Lizzie Bennet Diaries, or One-Fourth of Shipwrecked Comedy. She's an actor and producer, and most importantly... She's a noted Lord of the Rings aficionado. She's Mary-Kate Wiles. Welcome to the show, Mary-Kate. It is the most important thing about me. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. You have successfully branded yourself a Lord of the Rings aficionado, I think, because when we were sure do- when we were thinking of guests to have on this show, I was like, I do feel like one comes to mind. She's <laughs> a noted Lord of the Rings fan. That makes me very pleased very happy yeah we are big fans uh it was fun it was fun getting on this call and um you know turning uh some parasocial relationships into an actual face-to-face at least over zoom as it is uh relationship yeah. and, and that has been a real pleasure and we're very excited to have your expertise on here <laughs> thank you yes expertise yeah, <laughs> yeah. am i right in thinking you maybe like own a sword or something um i do own a, a sword Lord you're the right sword it's a recent yeah it's a recent acquisition i was gifted aowen's sword uh randomly by a friend recently and it's cool it's yeah. real cool yeah perfect for all your witch king stabbing needs yeah yeah i do have an i am no man sticker on the back of my laptop which of mm-hmm. course you cannot mm-hmm. see because you know you're on it on the We're front of it. <laughs> uh-huh. um and i have indeed worked with sean astin uh, oh, yeah, I have, baby. I have met Elijah Wood, oh. and Billy Boyd has looked me in the eyes. So, <gasps> oh, wow. Somehow of all of those, the Billy Boyd is the most intriguing to me because it seemed so mysterious. It was rather mysterious, and <laughs> I would say unfortunate. Mm. I was just walking down the street, and I was having a bit of an emotional time. Oh, this yeah. had to be about 10 years ago. And I was like kind of crying or had tears in my eyes and I looked up and Billy Boyd was looking right at me, walking (gasps) the other way. And I was like, Billy Boyd just saw me crying on the street. Wow. (laughs) Do you think he thinks about it still? Yeah, he's probably like, I wonder what was wrong with that girl. (laughs) I hope she's all right. (laughs) I hope she's okay. I'm fine, and, Billy. <laughs> and what under what circumstances do you think you're going to meet Don Monahan? Because you, I know, right? Yeah, I got to go four for four. I've got to complete the set. I don't know. I'm excited to see when the universe mm-hmm. bestows that gift upon me. Loki, yeah. maybe my favorite of the Hobbit actors as a not necessarily as an actor, although I like him as an actor, but like as a personality, he's good. I, he's so like compelling and and smart and like fun to me. He he's actually yeah. the one I think I would most want to meet of the four. 
He shines through any and all behind the scenes content, I think. He absolutely does. Yeah, he absolutely does. I think it can happen. I believe in this for you. Okay, great. Let's all try to meet Dominic Monaghan in 2023. (laughs) It's good to have a resolution. Let's bring that energy in. Dom, if you're out there or if you're someone who knows Dom and can send him (laughs) away. Um, Can you give us a little more like personal context for your... Uh, Lord of the Rings relationship, Mary Kate. Like, how'd you how'd you find your way to this podcast? I I'd love to. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> Anyone who follows me at all will probably be aware of this because uh, I have said it many times, and I apologize for repeating myself. But the Lord of the Rings is what made me want to go into film and be an actor. I saw the movie. Uh, when it came out in theaters, uh, when I was an age that I will not disclose, and I did not um, saw the fellowship, uh, did not have any expectations, did not know anything about it beyond having seen the books on my dad's bookshelf and thinking they were funny titles, and mm-hmm. I was just transformed in that viewing experience, and I fell so in love with this world. I immediately read all the books, and. I was just obsessed with with the movies and the making of the movies and the books themselves and Tolkien. I wrote my USC college entrance essay about Tolkien. <gasps> um, yeah, it goes deep. Wow. <laughs> what was the what was the take in the essay? Oh, that's a great question. I genuinely can't even. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I really. That's fine. <laughs> but I do know it was about him and. I think it was just like about him writing and also somehow I related that to me following my dreams and coming That's, to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Kate, you know. we're not we're not bonded on specifically writing about Lord of the Rings, but I wrote my college essay on attending a Star Trek convention. So I feel like oh, we're bonded yeah. on weird nerdy interest to try I to peak those that. those college board uh yeah, readers. Was quite the nerdy high school kid. <laughs> I might have done something similar. I couldn't tell you. Blocked out the whole college application experience. <laughs> yeah. But you Understandable. Know, we all got where we needed to go eventually. Understandable. Um, yeah. And so, you know, obviously I just love these movies. I watch them whenever I get a chance. And I have, I was just saying before we started recording, I've been hosting 20th anniversary parties to celebrate the release of the films. And as you undoubtedly know, <laughs> The Two Towers came out 20 years ago this coming Sunday. And so I will will be uh, having a little party for that. Is there any like particular themed food or decoration that you have planned that you're particularly proud of? Yeah. Well, I don't know that I would say proud because I haven't done it yet. So we'll see <laughs> yeah. how it turns out. Excited My- about – yeah, excited about. Obviously, you got to have taters as two towers. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. thinking. Mm-hmm. Right, of course, of course. Obviously. I'm thinking of grabbing some sushi for give it to us raw and wriggling. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about and- in order to eat the sushi, your guests have to sing Gollum's Little Fish Song. <laughs> Caroline <laughs> I like loves the fish song. I'm obsessed I like with Gollum's that. Fish Song. Yeah, of course. Who isn't? Um, and I'm thinking I would like to make a two towers out of like Rice Krispie treats. Oh yes, we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I feel good about plan. it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's exciting. That's it might exciting. be a little too ambitious. <laughs> yeah, and you've you feel like Return of the King is a is that a special one for you? Return of the King is without a doubt my favorite. Cool. Um, this was my favorite then, still is my favorite now, has all of my favorite parts of the book in it. Um, I was particularly disappointed watching the movies when they came out because uh, Shelob's Lair was my favorite part of the books. Mm. And 
as you may know, it comes at the end of the book of The Two Towers, but they mm-hmm. decided to move it to the Return of the King movie. So I was like sitting in the theater, like wailing because I had to wait a full another year for my Where favorite. Is she lob. <laughs> Give me this yeah. giant spider. I, I um, can general. I can generally empathize, although I can't. I can't relate to sitting around like wishing I'd seen a giant spider. <laughs> that it's pretty weird that that was like my favorite part, but I do still like Return of the King is just hit after hit after hit after hit it's so epic it's it's the best i love it yeah i i can't wait to like break down all of the like sort of season finale little beats that we get in this in this thing me too caroline how about what are your specific return of the king memories do you have any yeah well i'm excited to have you on for this episode in particular mary kate because while i love return of the king i would personally rank it third of the three mm, so i'm i'm excited to have your enthusiasm for it here i would say mm-hmm. re-watching i realized that i have seen this one so much less than the other two um i think partly because it was probably my least favorite of them but i also have a personality where i will get like very very obsessed with something while it's happening or while i'm in the middle of it but then once it's over i just like don't think about it again <laughs> For a while, at least. Most recently, this was figure skating. I followed like every single figure skating event. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like halfway into the season and I haven't watched anything. (laughs) So I think I (laughs) I had a little bit of that with Return of the King. And I realized it was a movie I'm far more likely to have like caught part of on TV, which mostly Mm. means I think I've seen the ending a lot of times and the beginning actually far fewer times just because I'm less likely to catch it right at the start. So there were definitely scenes here. I was like, oh, I um forgot about that part, which is like a weird experience with a with a franchise that I otherwise know so well. Mm. And Ned. Yes. What I'm about to say is big. So prepare yourself. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll strap in. In the past 24 <laughs> hours, I, I watched Return of the King. Uh-huh. And then as I did with Two Towers, I watched the extended edition, which I don't think I had ever actually seen before. And... I think it's better. <gasps> okay. As someone who otherwise is very pro theatrical cuts for Fellowship and for Two Towers, I think the way to go is extended edition for Return of the King. Okay. Mary Kay, let me catch you up. This has <laughs> been a, I'm not asking you to settle a debate. It's a question of taste, but let's just sure. say that Caroline and I have been going back and forth mm-hmm. on the on the merits of the extended my camp versus the yes. theatrical Caroline's camp. I see. And yeah, Caroline just dropped a bomb on me that you yeah. actually think extended is the way to go for this better. for this volume in particular. Why do you think so? It has room to breathe. I think mm-hmm. that with two towers, the extended scenes felt like they were halting the pacing of the movie or the movie was sort of reaching a crescendo and then it would sort of go off on a tangent that was losing the energy. Whereas I think extended edition of Return of the King gives the movie more room to breathe and it gives it these little character moments that I think are missing in a theatrical cut that can sometimes feel like it's just jumping from big event to big event. And and something our uh, guest last week, Joe Cunningham, said was that he he feels like sometimes the theatrical versions can feel like the abridged versions of of what the movie should be. And I don't feel that way about the first two. But I do feel like the theatrical cut feels a little bit like an abridged version of what Return of the King is supposed to be. I can I can see that. I mean, I, I think we might have mentioned this previously, but the jump from Eowyn just being like, damn, Aragorn, you just, it's just a no to her being <laughs> like, now I'm at the coronation ceremony already like 
linked up with Faramir. That feels like an abridgment for sure. Yeah. Although I also, so I didn't watch the extended for this most recent rewatch. I did watch it earlier this year, but I watched the theatrical this time. I associate the Return of the King extended also with like a long scene of the Paths of the Dead, which I sort of have this it's a, image that one of. I would, that one I would maybe slightly cut. I have this image of it, this being sort of a Scooby Dooish thing where ghosts are like tapping Gimli on the shoulder. I am probably distorting. You're it You're not in my totally head, wrong. But, There's um, also a lot of like a giant wave of skulls that just comes and they have yeah, to kind of run is. through it, like almost Indiana Jones style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary Kate, what's your take on this uh, hotly contested issue? I think this is a really interesting debate and I can totally see where you're coming from. I, obviously, as just an absolute lover of all things Tolkien, of course I like the extended editions better Mm -hmm. because it's just more movie that I love. (laughs) And I genuinely can't remember what is not extended because I have not watched the theatrical versions since they were out in in theaters really unless like you said it's like on tv Mm -hmm. if i am ever watching it i'm playing the extended versions and also it's just like just sitting here thinking about how bananas it is that like these movies have two versions like what this never happens like so and they're like commonly like both thought of as yeah like the versions of these movies bananas but um yeah going over your your you have a list on our doc Mm -hmm. of like these are all the extended scenes and i'm like wow i Totally forgot that at one point those weren't in the movies. But I can see how what you're saying about like, yes, Return of the King does feel like just big set piece after big set piece of like huge things happening. And and I can see it kind of missing those like smaller character moments, which are, of course, what makes Mm -hmm. these movies so good. Mm -hmm. Um, So you got a point. Yeah. And Return of the King is just such a – it has such a different structure – than the first two movies and I think just a different structure than movies normally have like it Mm -hmm. doesn't really have a clear protagonist the first half of it kind of feels like or the maybe the first act is kind of like resolving the last movie then there's a middle act that's sort of a battle that is important but but is also kind of just like set up for the big climax like it's Mm -hmm. not in the way with the other ones, I felt like I can I can wrap my mind around what they're doing. Like this one feels epic in a way that movies usually aren't, but that epicness also feels earned because I feel like these yeah. movies are so singular. And if any movie is just going to do like a giant victory lap of a finale, it should be this one. I mean, it definitely it just feels more like a book. It truly mm, feels like this mm-hmm, is a book, mm-hmm. and we've made it into a movie. It does not follow like regular movie yeah. format. We have been talking a lot about the way in which these three installments of a trilogy really do feel like three chapters of one big story rather than like yeah. a successful story and then two more successful stories. And and it really is crazy to be in the thick of the Battle of Pelennor Fields and be like, there's a lot more to this battle and this is not the final battle. Yeah. And then to go, I mean, I think we've already alluded to it. I think the sort of like common punchline about this film are the endings which i don't know if we should talk about now for me it's really just the full fade to black on the like slopes of mount doom Mm -hmm. that starts you thinking you're watching an ending that to me is actually the like the the error that makes people think like the movie ends too long although now that i know what's coming i actually really enjoy it because i'm like yeah i want to sit in that moment for a second Mm -hmm. but 
when you think of this as a 12 hour movie, you don't want it to wrap up in eight minutes, yeah. you know, yeah. you want it to take its sweet time. And you're like, we must end this, then we must end this. And we must have that final bit of like Sam going into his house, you know, like not mm-hmm. one of them is extraneous when you really look at it as a whole, as a whole epic story. But it is, yeah, it's really like structurally unique in the way that it that it functions this way. Even though I have qualms with some of this movie, I think the last hour of it, either in theatrical or extended, sort of from from the wrap up of Battle of Pelennor Field into sort of the, those sort of dual climaxes of Aragorn's leading them to the Black Gates of Mordor and mm-hmm. Frodo and Sam are doing their Mountain Doom thing and then all of the many endings. I think that last hour is like perfect. I just find it to be so satisfying as a wrap up for every thread that this movie has had and like i don't think there's too many endings probably if anything there's not enough endings you know what i mean like wow. give me give me more of them I, I i love them i think we need the chance to say goodbye and we need the chance to like unravel the journey you know it's like mm-hmm. we we went to a journey and we actually need to return it can't just be that we say goodbye at Minas Tirith, as some people think they should. That's also such a big theme of the books. Yeah, they're in back again. Yeah, you are totally right about that. Also, I just can't imagine if the movie did end with them on the side of Mount Doom. Like, you would be like, what? (laughs) What about about our guys? Are they okay? Oh, my God, what? Yeah, God, grisly. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, you'd you'd think of this this whole trilogy differently as being like, yeah, it's a really fun fantasy thing. I mean, it's punishing as hell. <laughs> these two hobbits just burned to death in the yeah. lava on the side of yeah, a horrific. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, they they let you take the moment of thinking about. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I can't believe these guys heroically chose to go do this instead of living their life in the Shire, yeah. or marrying that cute uh, girl from the tavern. Yeah. And then, mercifully, they take you away and they slowly, slowly, like an eagle that has gripped you in its <laughs> massive but tender claws, they, like, let you down. Yeah. Which is, a f- we're, we're doing this podcast in we <laughs> sort are, of a funny order. We're doing a tenant situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working backwards. Let me, let, me, let me quickly share my answer to the question that I asked you all about, which is that I remember watching this film in theaters in eighth grade at opening i remember going with my like 10 friends we sat in the front row which is a terrible way to watch a film but is something that i don't know makes sense in the mind of an eighth grader and i just had this (laughs) very clear image of we all took our coats because it was december and threw them in a pile in front of us so i just remember like all of our feet and all of our coats and you know the huge olifants like smashing across the screen and i love it because i have always love them but it was number three for me in the ranking uh as i shared last week like i'm just too obsessed with theoden helms deep tree beard grima worm tongue and Gollum talking to himself to to ever like unseat two towers as my number one but on this viewing maybe it's just because we've been thinking about them so much and talking about them and it was the second time i watched them this year all of the emotional payoffs that you get in this movie including like how many heartbreaking things you have in the first half. It just hit me. It it it, it bumped up. It surpassed my most recent viewing of Fellowship. And <gasps> wow. it's close there. So so I really like I loved my most recent rewatch of this, which I alluded to like I'm having kind of a crazy time and life is just like a little nuts right now. And for all of my 
all these like gripes of like, oh, I dug myself this hole where I have to watch this like three and a half hour movie. <laughs> like it just flies by because oh, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, it is so and, good. And yeah, I'm very excited to to jump into it. We can talk about the ending. We can talk at the beginning. We can talk about whatever. <laughs> so the structure of the first two movies made it, you know, fairly easy to discuss them character by character. Return of the King is a slightly different beast, slightly different fell beast, but we will do our best to break down this action-packed movie into its various intersecting parts and look at how they pay off what's come before. Caroline, you did a very wonderful sort of breakdown of a couple different chapters here and Mm -hmm. threads. And the first is The Ring. So here we have Smeagol in his Hobbit form, a quick little live-action Andy Serkis appearance um, coming as a surprise at the beginning of the film. Frodo, Gollum, and Sam. I feel like that was a surprise. I feel like yeah. this was an era when the idea that Andy Serkis was like a human actor was wild to yes. people. He had so branded himself as the motion capture Absolutely guy. Absolutely was wild. Yeah. What did you what do you what do you guys think of this as an opening? What do you think of little evil uh evil Smeagol? It's good. Um I it is good. It's great. Like from a like from a storytelling perspective, great. Love it. Mm-hmm. I personally I don't want to watch him turning into Gollum. So <laughs> I don't want to watch him bite into that fish. So oh, I just, I kind of, I kind of don't pay attention so much until we like get past you're, it. You're but. still getting your like blanket and popcorn and things in order. Yeah, I'm trying to look away. We're like, let's turn it on and I will be mm-hmm, settled in mm-hmm. by the time, you know, we get to the main credits. I forget that Peter Jackson, who I obviously associate above and beyond with this franchise, has this sure. whole like gross out horror yes. history. Yes. Oh, you and feel it. It comes back to me when you're watching those nasty teeth bite into that nasty raw fish. Yeah. Yeah, really I horrifying. Don't need that. But but I do I do appreciate I sort of wonder, was this calculated at all as a response to commentary that like, oh well, Andy Circus is just He's just voicing an animated character. Like, I wonder if this, it feels like a little bit of, if any dialogue had been put forth about, like, the limits of his performance, if it was to say, well, watch, he can give you Gollum in prosthetics. Now, we're going to put him, you're going to continue with CGI Gollum, but I do feel like it's a little bit of a vindication of, like, all the work that is required you can get from this guy, you know, rolling Mm. around in the rocks and moaning and choking out his nice hobbit friend, Deagle. (laughs) <laughs> maybe i don't feel like i only remember just like extreme praise for andy circus and what was happening with Gollum, especially after the two towers mm-hmm. because it was so like mind-blowing however i was very much only looking at <laughs> the one ring.net and you had a positive other- confirmation bias yeah, other sites that were like loving the movies. So, you know, maybe I didn't get uh, a full picture. I will say I do feel like what Andy Circus has become mm-hmm. has kind of been a surprise in terms of him being really revered as like a great actor around, you know, both creating like sort of this new art form and also being a great regular on-screen actor as well. Yeah, very singular in that way, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. I think – I don't know if anyone was expecting him like that to come out of what he yeah. did as Gollum. Well, and it is funny that it kind of feels like, you know, now it's like, oh, Andy Serkis, the motion capture guy. But he was just a normal actor who happened to get called in for a job that required motion capture. And then that became this whole through line of his career that he, I think, probably paved the road for a lot of people to follow. But 
It's funny that, I'm sorry, to totally bring up a non sequitur. My friend, I just did a series about the Headless Horseman. and um, we Which have is a- <laughs> really good and fun. <laughs> oh, you guys, stop. Um, thank you so much. Um, but we have a practical costume, and our friend Tom DeTrinis is the Headless Horseman actor. And interviewing him, he, the first thing he said was, like, when they asked me to do this, I thought, oh, I get to be Andy Serkis. So, like, Andy Serkis has become yeah. kind of synonymous with, like, I don't know, just playing a character that maybe like you're not going to see your yeah. face or, or yeah. whatever. But that is still really memorable. kind of cool. Bold physical yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, is, which yeah. is also going on there as well as funny gags, like getting to see a, the practical headless horseman like try to hide behind a curtain, which I did not. <laughs> I guess spoilers, spoilers for episode one. That is not. That's a pretty tame yeah, it's spoiler. Not, it's That's not quite okay. the. It's not quite the figure of menace that I was expecting going into the series. Yeah, but, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but kind yeah, of true I, of a golem too. The the unexpected yeah, comedic relief that he can provide. Yeah, less mm-hmm. of that in this film. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like, I think thematically what this prologue does is show how remarkable it is that both Frodo and Bilbo were able to hold the ring for as long as they could without it corrupting them because Smeagol, I mean, he sees that thing and like five seconds later, he's murdered his best friend. You know what I mean? Like he like, and it just shows it's like, it's such a corrupting force. And if we have it all been taking for granted, the fact that Frodo has been carrying it this long, I feel like the prologue is this immediate just sense of how special he is that he was able to, carry it the way he has yeah some hobbits are resistant to the evil of the ring not all of them though <laughs> one of them was just like i want it's, that it's I, my birthday um, yeah give it to us give me that <laughs> yeah give me that um give it to us it's interesting that we get a lot of maybe just because i watch these with subtitles on which i don't always do and the subtitles in Two Towers literally says like smeagol says this Gollum says this oh that's Gollum. interesting so sure. it's interesting. It, it it does take a little bit. I think it is like, you know, the vision is the viewer sort of discerns that. But it does kind of make it, it kind of drives home the point of like, you've got two characters here. And you get a lot of Smeagol in Two Towers. Mm-hmm. And Gollum is really like taking the wheel in this one. And I feel yeah. like you've got a lot more. It's the same performance kind of, but also it's a lot more in this mode of being like calculated menace the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I maybe even take like a bigger step back? Because I'm curious, Mary-Kate, like I've said before that for me, these feel like Aragorn movies and everyone else is like a side character to that story. And I'm curious if you have an equivalent of that where there's like a character. And I guess, Ned, you haven't really said either. If there is like, oh, this is the through line that for me is my personal like heart song of the movie. Yeah, I disagree so hard. These movies are about Frodo and Sam and only Frodo and Sam. Okay, I was a little bit prompting an answer I thought you were going to give. (laughs) Boy, I am so predictable. Uh, Yeah, I love love Frodo and Sam. I feel like it's just like who you – I don't know, a little bit like relate to slash are attracted to. Mm. Oh, cool. We've had a variety – every guest we've had on has had a different like – we all agree everyone in this movie is attractive and we love them all, but we all have a yeah. slightly different ranking of who we would put number one and who we would. I will say I'm I'm pretty weird <laughs> in that Frodo is my jam. Frodo girly. A Frodo girly. Nice. Uh, 
those big blue eyes, mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, high school Mary Kate was very into yeah. Elijah Wood, and you know what? Adult Mary Kate is <laughs> thinks he's attractive. <laughs> But yeah, but also that uh, that aside, I have always been so also like reading the book so drawn to the hobbits yeah. and just like very much here for the hobbits and their um their journey, which isn't to say that like obviously Aragorn is a great character mm-hmm. and I think, you know, really has a little more to do slash more of an emotional like arc and whatever but yeah for me it's it's all about the yeah. hobbits do you have one ned yeah i think these are grima worm tongue movies that are structured very <laughs> very regrettably. um no you i don't to, know that I, the fellowship is just a, like a side tangent <laughs> prologue to get to the grima to the greatest story. creepiest slimiest little pale rohan guy um i i, I think it. probably i don't know that i have one character i think I mean, I think it was probably Sam for me mm-hmm. that I really see as like that's your that's your sort of identifiable guy. He's he's not sort of like superhuman noble like the Fellowship people. I mean, I guess he actually is incredibly noble, but but not in a way of like amazing sword wielding. And he's not going through the um, I don't know sort of mortal torture that Frodo is. He's just kind mm-hmm. of like a guy who wants to go back to his nice town, but yeah. has to like obey his moral code and stick by his friend, even when it really hurts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Your friend tells you to go back down the stairs. Oh my God. That scene yeah. is devastating. Yes. I have qualms, but. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what are your qualms? I just, none of that's in the book. And I see. It feels uh, like too much drama, too I, much melodrama. Yeah, I I don't, I, I. I love these movies. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. But I have mm-hmm, qualms mm-hmm. with that in particular. And also all the Aowen, Aragorn, Arwen, mm-hmm. like love triangle stuff. I could okay. kind of do without. Let me put a, let me put a I, pin in that. Oh, yeah. We'll circle we'll that, that for sure. <laughs> I do get like how it sort of like, builds up this heroic moment for Sam to mm-hmm. appear with the file and save. And I like, I can respect that. But just know that Book Frodo would never <laughs> do that. Okay. <laughs> would never do that to Sam. It's the other sticker on the back of your laptop is Book Frodo would never. <laughs> Book Frodo would never. Never, ever. <laughs> is it, are they kind of like, because their story mm-hmm. really does like, it, it continues on the same vein in the same mm-hmm. place from Two Towers to this one, where this sort of like seed of distrust planted by Gollum is going on. In the book is that, we don't ever really like get that friendship shaken. They just kind of are totally bonded. Mm. No, I will say it has been a few years since I have sure, reread them, although sure. I have read them twice. <laughs> Respect, uh, that's twice more than me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I had more time when I was younger <laughs> to read really, really hefty yeah. books. Um, but no, there's not really the, this, like, whatever between Frodo and Sam. And and again, like, I, I can see the value that, like, the conflict brings to driving the story mm-hmm. forward. Um, but it's like a little bit of a yeah. bummer because I think I think you want it looks worse for Frodo, whereas in the book, like I don't think he would treat Sam mm. so badly. It does look worse for Frodo? Yeah, he's a bit of a dick in this movie for sure. <laughs> yeah, and he's not in the books. I know it, it, it is it's true. He is. He is. I do think I do think that without me having that book background, I am a fan of that little storyline because it just has so many moments like. I just like the acting that Sean Astin is doing as Sam in the scene where Frodo casts him away 
was just like one of the first like stab me in the heart legit gut-wrenching scenes on this reviewing and it's very good and then you get the scene when he finds the lembus bread he crawls back down the mountain like crying and like you know slips and falls and is like you're like dude it's gotten so low he's been so loyal the whole time to just this one guy and now you've had to force him dramatically into that place where he's been pushed away by that guy and then he finds the lemus bread and he breaks it in his little hand and he gives this <laughs> pissed off sam face that you never get and i'm like yes yes let's go and as you say like then yeah. him coming back into she loves lair i mean and saying, let him go you that filth. moment is like the yeah. best and i don't remember they are separated in the book because uh, Shelob gets Frodo and then yeah, Sam yeah, yeah. has to come and, and thinks he's dead but I can't remember what exactly happens that makes them Well this separated. is the first time I want to take a pin out of the board from earlier which is when you said like you were really looking forward to Shelob <laughs> yeah. because you said weirdly it was like your favorite thing. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about that and why? And did she yeah. deliver? Why yes. the hell is this giant spider your favorite <laughs> just, just a little bit more about that. <laughs> that little breadcrumb you um, left us. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I was a fair amount more religious as a young person. Now, I still, like, carry a bit of that with me. But, like, the imagery of, like, the light, the file in, like, this really dark yeah. um, place was, like, very powerful to me. And also, like, I don't know, even in the movie, like, the music is so good and it's all, like, kind of weird and spooky and you're like, what is happening? And I, I don't know. I just love the vibes. Yeah. The vibes are great. And it's such a heroic moment for Sam. Um like we just said and yeah i don't know everything about it just like sings for me it's just such a fun just a fun weird creepy moment in the story where sam gets to be a a hero and she's an interesting like villainous force in that unlike the orcs or sauron or sauron like she's not really evil she's just an animal you know like doing her thing and so she be she like kind of provides a different i think the the trouble with the frodo sam arc through the these last two movies is like there's only so much you can do with it like it is ultimately just them sort of repetitively having to get somewhere which i think has thematic payoff in some way because it's really just that sense of like we're trudging and we're trudging and but some of their little interludes can feel a little more i don't know kind of rant like they're creating little random problems for them maybe yes but i think shelob does stand out as like this is a set piece that is distinct and memorable and like exciting in a different way than other things in this movie also the second book ends with sam realizing that frodo is not dead and that the orcs have taken him um after that scene and so it ends on like that book ends on such a like oh Mm -hmm. my god what's gonna happen which i i really loved as well that is a a tough moment when he's like, oh my God, he was alive. And they're <laughs> yeah. just going to yeah. carry him off. Also that <gasps> sweet moment when he thinks he's dead oh and it's God. just like, don't go where, where I can't, I can't I follow. Know. Oh my God. Yeah. I uh, I do kind of think this is, I mean, Sean Astin's good in all of them and he's great in the second one, but I do feel like maybe this is his best performance of the three overall. Oh, without a doubt is how I would say that. I mean, I only mean because I, I think he's great nodding. in the second one as well, but... I yeah. think he's great, but just the stuff that he gets to do in this, I mean, those three moments that I said and more that I could just I could just watch and watch and, and watch. We haven't even gotten to the biggest one <laughs> at the end. Uh, he's so good. There's like, he's one of those where I just like, I can't imagine anybody else playing this character. Yeah. 
And I personally am, as an American actor, so thankful that uh, they allowed American actors yeah. to be Quite in a few. this. Yeah, in this very famous British literature. And that's piece. for my old gaffer. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah they part. let him take those, those uh, that sort of like pivotal thing. And he just like, it's one of those things that's impossible to visualize it with somebody else. Sean Astin just, he just brings it in this. Like, just for every single thing he does, every like little look and gesture, the little like raises of yeah. his eyebrows. He's so he's so earnest. He's got such an earnest quality about him. Yes, like just I think even as a person that you just love yeah. him. Well, can I take another pin out the wall and ask you a little bit more about working with him and Wayward Guy yeah. for the Untrained Eye? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. that's correct. Yeah, he plays my boss. Um God, like, where to even begin? He's actually he's, mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's so lovely. And I was, of course, when I found out he was going to be in it, I was like on the freaking yeah. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Um, he's so lovely. And all day I was just like trying to be chill, trying to be cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did not like ever try to not be around us. Yeah. Like he was constantly with us. He was like, let's run the scene again. I've never run a scene so many times <laughs> my life he just wanted to keep running the scene keep working on it keep coming up with stuff um he would like kind of he was like kind of directing that day he would be like no let me do that again you know like he's the one kind of taking the the lead and then at the end at the end of the day he was like let's do a facebook live come on guys like he (laughs) was the one that was like and we were like okay like here we are with sean Aston. And he truly, like, took a moment with each of us at the end of the day when we were done. And that is when I told him, I said, like, I'm here because of these movies. Um, And he said something very special to me that I don't think I've ever shared and I won't ever share because it's, like, my little piece. But it just was, like, I just couldn't – I was just – I couldn't believe that I got to do that. (laughs) He is so lovely. He – had I used to recap the TV show Supergirl, and he had an unadvertised guest appearance on Supergirl because his daughter was just a huge fan of the show. So he just like asked if he could be on it. Oh, so I had the oh my I gosh. mean a very a, a, a less exciting experience, but still fun experience of like turning on Supergirl to review. And I'm like, is that Sean Astin in this CW TV show? So I feel like he. he there is a sense of genuine enthusiasm for all of these kind of like geek and nerdy properties and I guess yeah. acting in general. I think so. And I get the feeling that all four of them, the Hobbits at least, like really carry that with them. And I think that's so sweet and so admirable because it is a weird position to be in when you're yeah. like very well known for this one thing and you want to also be appreciated for the mm-hmm. other stuff that you've done. I can relate <laughs> to that on a much smaller <laughs> level. Um, but yeah, but like – they they carry it so yeah. well and they're so excited to sort of celebrate this thing that they did together which is so yeah. cool. Let's let's talk about uh Frodo because as we as we said it's like it's a tough putt for him in this movie. I mean it's a it's a tough ass journey for Frodo, but but for Elijah Wood to like keep this in protagonist territory when he's like passive in a way. Yeah, he's just got to be such a dick to Sam and like he's like you've got to you've got to doubt whether he has it in him. Mm-hmm. You got to hope but doubt that he has it in him to destroy the ring. He just has all these moments where you're like, well, if I was Frodo, I would simply not believe Gollum and I would simply throw this <laughs> ring into the fire. Yeah, how do we feel about uh how do we feel about Frodo particularly in installment 3? 
I mean, I love him. Yeah, what what makes him <laughs> your favorite of the series? I am so drawn. I'm just I'm just very obnoxious. I'm just drawn to like the hero character. I'm such a sorry to say Gryffindor. <laughs> sure. Uh and I like reading a book or seeing a movie, I'm like that's what I want to yeah. play. That yeah. is fun. Um, I do want to point out that Elijah Wood was 17 years old when these movies started filming. Is that filming, true? Filming. Yes. Whoa. He was 17 years old when he got that cast. That is bananas. And I think wow, I did not realize he was, he was that like young. maybe 19 or 20 when they f- like finished. Sure. Um, so I, now being older and less in love with him sure. um, and having more knowledge of like what I, you know, admire, like I can be like, okay, interesting choices mm-hmm. here. But like – in in certain parts, I'll, on the whole, I think he's great. And but knowing that he was so young yeah. is just bonkers. Yeah. Like I am so impressed with sort of the like uh, the gravity and the like shell shockedness that he brings to everything, considering how how young he was. A little sidebar, just that Emily reminded me the other day. My partner Emily, who was on our fellowship episode, and is a. a probably an even like more diehard fan than I am just reminded me of this tidbit that like Elijah Wood sent like an unasked for like VHS of himself like reading passages from the book he like went and filmed it in Griffith Park he like filmed some scenes from the book which of course then you know teenage Mary Kate goes oh this is all you have to do to be cast (laughs) as the lead in a film franchise make a movie with your friends yeah I I tried that and it didn't work out it didn't no. work out for me, but yes, that is well, true. That he respect that. for shooting the moon, though. You know, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta play the lottery to win. I guess. I mean, Elijah would have had a little more experience yeah. than yeah, yeah. a few more credits. A child actor, yeah, a few yeah, more. Credits. Yeah, he had some credits when he did that thing. Still, that is, there's definitely a lot of gumption to that. But I mean, yeah, exactly. Especially considering, like, this is just one of the most famous characters mm-hmm. in all of literature, and Frodo in the books is a little older than I think Elijah would appear yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, the hobbits have those weird ages too. Right. Everyone in this whole series. They're all kind they're of all ageless. like, I'm 70 years old, but I look like I'm 25 or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, speaking of extended editions, how old is Aragorn? Also some like 80 He's or something. In his 80s, 80, yeah. yeah. Frodo's supposed to be in his 50s in the book, although I don't think they make it clear in yeah. the movies because, again, Elijah's pretty young. They just didn't think about it. And they wanted us to feel like they were <laughs> youthful, I think, which I think was probably the intention in the book but they're like we can't convey yeah. <laughs> can we can't convey a young 50 we'll just make him right this, this right. 20 year old guy i'm almost wondering if we should save like all of the ending stuff for later in the podcast but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say like my thought on frodo in this movie is i i do think that this is like elijah wood has to do the most in this movie in terms of like he has to do the tortured frodo thing from two towers and he has to go back to the sort of like sweet innocent non-ring Frodo but then he also has to be like full-on evil Frodo at moments and I do think the yeah. the part where he's like I'm gonna keep the ring is quite effectively chilling yeah and that you see him kind of like snap in a way we haven't fully seen before my favorite moment of his I think is right before that uh, obviously you know big moment for both Frodo and Sam when he, you see him like break through kind of everything he's dealing with when he's like collapsed on the side of Mount Doom talking about like not remembering oh, strawberries oh. and he says we're um, naked in the dark damn yeah and it's <laughs> horrific yes. 
It's awful. And uh, then, of course, that's Sam going, I can't carry it for yeah. you, but I can't carry oh. you. It's just such, such a, a beautiful, like, sad, awful, inspiring moment from both yeah. of them. And I know that, like, Tolkien really didn't like people drawing allegory, like, making mm-hmm. it an allegory. But there is a lot of inspiration of him being in war, for obviously. Sure. And I think that moment really, that really yeah. comes through in that That's sort of and, dead-eyed, like, haunted, like, yeah. like – it, I mean, yeah, it just totally makes me think of like shell shock, as they probably would have called it at the time, or you know, just the like the the yeah. like absolute distress of seeing the like mindless horror of the world. And then also like at the very end of the movie, when uh, you know he decides to leave, and you see him sort of with this, I don't know, just like despondentness yeah. of like, like disconnected. Yeah, I think Elijah really plays all of these things so well. And again, like knowing how young he was, it's it's really impressive. I think you're. I actually think you're right that maybe some of that disconnected at the Shire stuff might actually be his strongest work in the whole series. The sense mm-hmm. of like I'm here, I'm at peace, like nothing is physically wrong, but like that sense mm-hmm. of like you can't go home again the way it was. I'm Ugh. I'm I'm not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, man. We've shouted out Shelob, Caroline. You on the little like casting groups you gave us there's also some featuring we featured Shelob, the mordor orcs um shout out to the character i think of as drop kicking orc the guy who <laughs> which one's drop kicking it's orc? the guy it's the... Oh, what you mean? he like jumps in the air and kicks he does a about? he does oh, a you know yeah. so I, I work at pro wrestling he does it's called a drop kick you jump in the air and you kick ned, as i was watching that scene i thought ned will know what this type of kick is called yes, and you did it's a drop kick. Yeah, it's the guy who has kind of a mullet hawk and says, uh, he's the, oh, she loves us to have her fun. <laughs> in that, in the middle of the like the intra orc brawling scene at, at Kirith Ungol, which is um, sidebar, yeah. an extremely fun level of that video game I talked about last episode <laughs> or two episodes ago. Wait, which video it game? It was the, the Return of the King video. The one that came out at yes, the time? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Where you could play single or co-op. Yeah, I played it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, Wait, yeah. who did you who did you play as? Ned oh, revealed yeah, he played as Legolas. Yes. Did you have a regular? I feel like I play um I don't really remember. I feel like I played as Sam a lot, but maybe I'm just like remembering this particular yeah. level when you, you know, you Yeah, know, the first Sam. time through they assign you the story appropriate character, and then when you want to replay, yeah, you can yeah, 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 you can yeah, take yeah. Gandalf to Kirithungal if you Whoa. want. But Oh, uh, that's right. But yeah, Sam is who you play as this, and he had a little cloaking himself with his magic cape ability and uh and yeah, that's just it's a very fun, very fun level that Hell I remember yeah. very vividly. I also remember Gandalf's monologue from the start of the Black Gate level because it was like ass kickingly impossible. So I heard the little like starting monologue. Heard over, it yeah, like times. 30 times. Yeah. That's funny. The last character you have on our featuring for this storyline is Vision Galadriel, who Kate Blanchett comes back again, really feeling like a part of the team, even though she says what like yeah. 30 seconds of words in this film yeah. she comes back yeah. to frodo and his vision uh, emily was leaning over she said ah kate with her extremely easy day of filming where elijah <laughs> spends like a year on top of like rocky ass mountains and then he spends one day in the forest where kate blanchett comes up and doesn't even have to get mic'd up because she's gonna be doing it in uh voiceover, in, in voiceover in later on but yeah. she's 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 good at what she does you know she she knocks it out of the park every time i think yeah. I am older now than she was when she made these movies, and that will never compute. For yeah, me. she does yeah. feel wow. bonkers. Really, with all the elves, actually, I think they did a pretty good job of casting people who do kind of feel timeless and ageless, each in yeah, their own absolutely. individual way, and maybe yeah. her yeah. most of all. 
I'm doesn't not, feel like, yeah, oh, this I is agree. a 30-year-old Australian woman. It's like, no, this is a timeless elf. I am not very much into Rings of Power and not to talk about it, but that has kind of been a complaint for mm. me about it. I'm like, I don't feel like that casting, some some of, and all they're all great actors, but I'm not getting that like timeless elf feeling from everybody like you have in these yeah. movies, I feel like. Yeah, that's, a, I, I mean, it's, it's true just like, Maybe I'm just predisposed to take the the lore at face value when you're like, I'm older than she was. I'm like, well, she's thousands of years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> it didn't occur to me you're that right. she might just have a human age that, that the was actor younger than was we are. an age. That would be a trip. If I remember correctly, she was around 28 wow. when I don't remember if that's when they started sure. or. At, uh, she was around that age when when she made shocking these wild. to me. Wild. But okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I vote we move on into our human realm because that's my – like, again, I love Aragorn, but, like, the world of men is my favorite just, like, part the of – The world of men. <laughs> of Lord I'm of the Rings. I'm sorry, Caroline, but the age of men is over. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. It's just begun. Uh, yes. Let's talk about the grouping uh, labeled as Gondor with our good friends Denethor. Boo, boo. Not our friends. <laughs> our good uh, friends. Gandalf, Pippin, and Faramir. Tough uh, – Kind of tough at Gondor. Minas Tirith, we get there and it's not not quite as cool no. as Rohan was. I feel like Denethor is so interesting because he is such a major player who, you know, doesn't appear until, until this one. This last yeah. film. Yeah. And yeah. is in, certainly at least in the theatrical cut, in it way less than I remember. I just think mm. he, he leaves a strong... Frankly, oh, what yeah. he does just in his one scene where he's eating his nasty dinner. How oh you'll never God. forget. No, yeah. You'll never forget that tomato. He leaves, never. A, he leaves a giant sized <laughs> footprint with the way that tomato just goes <laughs> in his mouth. Um, <laughs> so Denethor is really interesting, I think. I mean, he just like, again, something I said about Boromir in the first film and Theoden in the second film and the way they represent kind of the like the battling like valor and weakness inherent in humans. And I think I said in the first one, I was like, Boromir, he's us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Denethor is like, you're like, this is this is humanity at the shittiest it can get. This guy is so... Yeah. I, I said of all the villains, including the, like, actual demonic, like, forces of darkness mm-hmm. personified by a giant flaming eye that want to, like, extinguish all life, like, <laughs> this guy somehow kind of comes off feeling like the worst yeah. You know? Yeah. Because his freaking son is standing in front of him and goes, you wish it was me that had died instead of Boromir. And he says, yes, I wish yeah. that. I mean. I know. Woof. Yeah. What woof, struck woof me on right. this viewing is like Denethor is every Republican politician who is just like, I am going to be so passive and seeing terrible things happening and doing nothing mm. but like mm. sitting here and eating my tomatoes and then as soon as he <laughs> he's like bl- like everyone keeps telling him things they're you know they're like their orcs are coming to gondor we have to do something and he's like not my problem and then when the orc mm-hmm. shows up he immediately it's like victim complex where is rohan i've been betrayed mm-hmm. like i'm gonna burn myself alive and people are saying your son mm-hmm. is alive you can help him and he's like i would rather do this dramatic act of what I have decided is valor than provide mm-hmm. anything that is actual help or aid. And like, you're so right, Ned, that he is frustrating. Really In frustrating. a way that is so different than the characters that are just like pure evil that you can kind of like root, you know, yeah. like you can have fun with the worm tongue, but like you're not really having fun with Denethor. And that's all credit to John Noble for creating such an intentionally 
frustrating character. Yes, frustrating, alienating, incredibly like paranoid and defensive. So it feels a little bit more familiar to our world than the concept of, you know, a giant evil tower with an eyeball <laughs> at the top of it. <laughs> yeah. And it does and it has that really personal as you as you observe Mary Kate, it's like the fact that it is this personal betrayal of this nice sweet guy that we know by like the only person he like really really wants to impress and be loved by it's it's just is a little like oh barb right in the it's rough yeah it's really rough and i do think like it wouldn't hit as hard if you didn't have faramir which here's my kind of bomb caroline not a bomb bomb but i'm ready for it but faramir is definitely really good in this in our two towers episode i kind of revealed that i was like not super keen it was the most controversial unexpected controversy in this podcast history the debate as to whether faramir is an enjoyable character or not i'm very pro faramir I'm glad, Ned, you've seen the... I've come around. You've seen the light. He has even less to do in this. He, like, affects the plot less, kind of. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, like, he's like, "Uh, but I can't go out there, I'll die. And his dad's like, go ahead. And he's like, okay. And then he's kind of, particularly in the theatrical, where you don't have the House of Healing, he's kind of just, like, KO'd for the rest of the movie. But but he's good in those early scenes in Osgiliath. He's really good, and he's really, like, you know quietly like heart crushing in his scenes with his dad he just has this like genuine distress i mean i i think that his acting like steps up a game Mm. maybe it's the directing of him i don't know or the material the type of drama that he's given to do but i do think it is better in this than in two towers Mm -hmm. personally you guys probably already touched on this but (laughs) yet again book nerd here (laughs) please Um, please he, there's none of that in the Two Towers books of him like being tempted by taking the ring. He's always stand-up boy in the books. He's always good. Um, and so I don't know if that changes anything. Mm-hmm. I, again, I can see why they want to give him a little more, more of a conflicted whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Are you pro or con movie Faramir? I'm fairly pro movie Faramir. I, I, my strong feelings do not lie here in mm-hmm. terms of characters. I Fair feel enough. much more strongly about my Hobbit buddies and yeah. Eowyn. I feel strongly about, but um, yeah, I, I think it's all very effective mm-hmm. in terms of like you. And again, it's such an interesting thing where it's like. First movie, we meet Boromir, and then he's dead. But then we meet Faramir, who is related to Boromir. Yeah. And like, and then finally we meet Denethor, and it's like all coming together. Um, the, this is the house. Yeah, the produced. There are all the men, all the characters of the men. Everyone in this movie is a man. All the, all the, all the, all the people all of the race of men. They're all mm-hmm. such interesting foils for each other. Like Theoden mm-hmm. and Denethor as like indecisive leads, right. but in, or can't, you know, root leaders, but in in two yeah. different ways of that and Faramir and Boromir and and obviously Aragorn is like the pinnacle of it all but I don't know I think what I realized after last week's unexpected controversial debate like I don't think it's mm-hmm. crazy not to like Faramir it was just I figured you it guys would like, so I don't off think guard. about Faramir not I dislike him but I realized that I think I like Faramir so much in the way that I always just loved Cyclops in the X-Men movies I just love a boring <laughs> but fundamentally good <laughs> <laughs> like supporting man. <laughs> this is like my little whatever um sure. 
yeah. you know, oh, that's my funny. thing. So that made me pro Faramir, I think. That's funny, Caroline. I also would say I really like Cyclops in the X-Men movies, but maybe my thing is not about that I like a boring but good man. It's that I like a guy who shoots laser beams out of his <laughs> eyes and yeah, wears, wears a, cool, a cool high-tech sunglasses. Uh, which I would like to see. Uh, anybody out there want to shop some sunglasses, uh, some, some Cyclops glasses onto Faramir? I will be into that <laughs> image. <laughs> I think the part of the Gondor sort of art segment of the movie that really shines and is so unexpected is the Pippin Gandalf relationship. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. And just the idea of splitting Mary and Pippin apart and sort of forcing them to go on their own journeys is such a clever move on Tolkien's part. And I think so sad, but so good. So sad and so beautifully adapted here. Like, I don't know. I just would not think, oh, Billy Boyd and Ian McKellen are the cast members that would have this great chemistry, but I feel like they really, really do. Mm-hmm. And it, it like makes it all so like seeing Pippin come to terms Ugh. like with what's going on and like have some like real, you know, lose kind of his happiness and just general like you were like, oh, man. This is this is where it's getting real. Totally. Yeah. Even Pippin is, is here. And sweet it's like, little Pippin. Even Pippin. Yeah. You're so right that it's like it you like you see the hobbits like one by one start to like yeah. get it. Like get how serious yeah. and bad everything is. And when it finally yeah. hits Pippin, you're like, Oh, this is so sad to see. And yeah. it's not just pairing him with Gandalf. It is in a few critical scenes, as we said, like pairing him with the worst guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And having yeah. it be like, This is the thing. I mean, Pippin, I think Billy Boyd, like, he brings it in this movie the whole time. Yeah. His just, like, sincere consternation and good intent, like, through all of it. And his parting with Mary is, like, so great with him just being like, wait, what? But I have to, what? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's okay. I'll see you again soon. And Mary's like, no, dude. Like, this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Because we'll get to Mary in a second. But um, Mary... Something else that Emily said before that I just... She's like, because Mary is the smart, depressed one. And that's what makes them a good pair. (laughs) But he's like... Every time he's like, maybe we're just screwed. Pippa's like, what? Really? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he still has these, like, amazing, like, comedy line deliveries. His, like, salted pork is particularly good. It's, like, great. (laughs) And I imagine this is just a ceremonial position. (laughs) But that scene where he sings to Denethor is, like, definitely... One of the highlights of the whole trilogy in terms of oh, you're like, so yeah, you're like this Agreed. movie is going right now. You've got yeah. you've got horses in slow motion, which is great. You've got you know a million orcs with their bows and arrows. Again, not to not to like, it doesn't draw like one to one parallels, but you're like implied here off screen. I feel like we're seeing like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan like acted out mm. with like guys charging into like a hail of arrows from orcs. And you've got, you know, the politician eating his nasty dinner, doing his great prop work, and Pippin just like, man, Pippin, what he has, it's it's the line, we have no songs for great halls, yeah. evil times. He gives this look where it's this total like read of like, man, your whole, your whole shit is so effed, man. Yeah. It, I just think that he, like, where emotional pathos is concerned, Pippin takes the most, like, startling jump up into, like, bringing, I don't know, like, thematic complexity and heaviness and nuance. and, And he has a lovely singing voice. You're right. Yeah. And yeah, Billy Boyd does both sides of that coin so well. Mm -hmm. Like, just like the happy second breakfast guy into, like, that beautiful scene with 
Gandalf where he says, you know, yeah. this is the end. No, it's not the end. Oh. It's oh, like. That's a great scene. Oh, what a good yeah. scene. I think it's all the better because it's such a surprise for us that like it's a surprise for us I think that Billy Boyd is capable of this I'm guessing Mm -hmm. most people wouldn't have gone into Lord of I mean I certainly didn't go in like familiar with the canon of Billy Boyd performances so I'm sure in the first two movies I was like yeah this guy is the fun comic relief performer and then to see him step up as an actor I think kind of parallels the way Pippin is stepping up as this like unexpectedly noble force in this big fight he's found himself in. I really love that like both he and Dom, I mean, they were, you know, they were not known actors. I love that we, I mean, obviously like Elijah Wood and Sean Astin and Ian McKellen, like they, they did such a good job of like casting actors. Yeah. Who, you know, in Vigo, but like, but also bringing in completely unknown actors uh, and also with the known actors, like they, I don't know that they were necessarily like the people you would have thought of first, mm-hmm. but having like Mary and Pippin just, you know, be people that you have no associations with. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that they did that and they're great in it. Yeah. I also feel like in this movie, I know that, I don't know. I totally get why people like feel like the Sam Frodo story is a love story it is never mm-hmm. read that way to me but this mm-hmm. rewatch i was like the pip and mary relationship really feels oh, like a love yeah. story to me when he finds him on the I battlefield agree. and he's just like i'm gonna take care of you i'm like yes okay yeah. great now go back to hobbiton you can be the two confirmed bachelors who like live together yeah. i agree that scene really feels it's that so way. tender also not exactly on the same wavelength but i do love that all of the hobbits like have their moment of being mm-hmm so integral to the success of the mission you know and the whole story and um it's cool that it's not just about frodo doing the thing it's also like mary has to be there to you know kill the witch king with eowyn and i thought about just the brilliant like story contrivance of like the scale just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger but it isn't but like the deeds of the four tiny little dudes at the center of the movie like never stop being totally pivotal yeah I know it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it took all four of them. Yeah, it's such a good observation. There's a I had never seen this scene before because it's it's only in the extended edition. But there's a lovely Pippin Faramir scene where it turns out Pippin's wearing the sort of the armor or the uniform that Faramir had as a little boy when he wanted oh, to be in the guard. Yeah. And it's such a nice scene for Faramir, and it's such a nice scene for Pippin. And then it really. Like, this is kind of what I'm talking about in terms of the extended editions adding more. Like, in the in the theatrical cut, Pippin wants to save Faramir just because, you know, he obviously doesn't want someone to burn to death. That's right. great, great uh, motivation. But in <laughs> the extended edition, it's like, oh, they've had this little connection. So his desire yeah. to save him is that much more motivated yeah. and yeah. moving. That, that link to him, not just as a, another person, but like as a kid. And he's like, here's this kid and his yeah. dad wants to burn him alive. This is the worst thing in the world. This makes oh, no God. sense to me. I've got to do something about it. Poor Faramir. Yeah, poor Faramir. Just wild. Poor Pippin having to learn, having to go to the school of hard knocks in the like kind of cold. It's it's so interesting to get to like, just as a sidebar, to, to get to go to Minas Tirith, which I don't, when the movies were coming out, remember being like, oh, yeah, because we saw it in Fellowship because mm-hmm. I was just so overwhelmed with all of it. But, yeah, it's like you do see it in the be- in the first hour or so of Fellowship and then you finally come back to here. And it just is an interesting – it's kind of like cold in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it's eerie and uh everything's kind of like so twisted and they're like the assault on it is so brutal and it's just like an interesting place to have to put such like a nice sweet earnest guy I think that's what's so effective about this for me one of one of the many things that's so effective about this story as a whole is like the shire being what it is yeah. and like these hobbits could have had this life where like they weren't sad and yeah. like everything was nice and they're just eating potatoes and dancing <laughs> but like also knowing that like they had to go do this and they had to see all these terrible things to keep that safe like mm-hmm. to keep that goodness you know alive and unthreatened and um, I don't know, just the themes of all of that. It's very touching. Well, it's exactly what you're talking about of like you go off to war to protect your homeland, but then you have to come yeah. home and figure out how to... Yeah, and it's different. And, and it's you different. aren't the same. Yeah. And... Oof, man. Ned, you had said last week that you thought that Gondor, the people of Gondor do not like pop as a community in the way the people of Rohan do, which I completely agree. I think it's a great observation. I think... Gondor really pops as like a physical location. The mm-hmm. like the geography and the architecture oh, yeah. it is so interesting. And Such in the extended edition, another thing I will praise is Gandalf gives a little more expository backstory of this idea that all of the kings of Gondor just like they almost like became they were like set in stone. They became so obsessed with the past and and like honoring their fathers and that they became these like people that weren't living or ruling correctly and that's why they died out. So I actually think to some extent the idea that Gondor is not this like thriving place is kind of intentional. Like the tree there is dead and the people there almost feel like, you know, as sort of dead and gray as Denethor does. And then this is about we need Aragorn to come and... It's the difference of Theoden is just someone who needs to have a little bit of a switch, but he's fundamentally a good person. So his people are sort of thriving. But Denethor, there's no switch to be had. He's just a bad person. We just need to get him out of there. And his people will only thrive once Aragorn gets that little crown. And I'm I'm sure it's intentional. I mean, you look at the way in which instead of being, you know, cloaked in like brown and green and gold and furs, everybody's wearing like this like shiny, shiny, shiny silver armor and like... It does feel like as soon as you arrive, you're like, something's kind of off here. And then that is very mm-hmm. borne out. Um, mm-hmm. I We should say a little bit more in this in this plot line about, about Mr. Gandalf, mm. who has been great, then Mr. was Gandalf. continued to be great, and now is still great. I mean, <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, he's just great. I think we have sort of acknowledged in this that like Gandalf the Grey is, he just feels so textured and down to earth. In a way that when he is sent back as Gandalf the White, like he does become a little more ethereal and a little bit less like feeling like, I don't know, like your crusty grandpa and a little more like, a, <laughs> you know, like a like a he's millennia old. Hair. Yeah, he's got yeah. he's got his shiny conditioner hair. He feels a little bit more like a <laughs> like a many millennia old uh you know force of good in the universe but but he's still got like a twinkle in his yeah he does he does this one in particular i think yeah yeah Yeah, that scene you mentioned where he says the end you know this is not he has that that speech about it comforting is really really comforting and he's he still gets his little like i mean ian mckellen is a guy who also has like great comic timing and his like and say nothing of aragon either in fact it's better you don't speak at all. They're a good term. He's just so good in all of those. And he has, he just through the movie continues to deliver these great emotional moments where like, even though he is kind of like super powerful, you just see like how much he cares about like the people around him and 
something I never really caught before is his like beautiful emotional reaction to seeing Sauron defeated in the end. Mm-hmm. Like, cause he watches the tower crumble. Cause I don't, like, I don't, he I, knows Frodo did it. I do want to come Frodo back to succeeded. discuss. Yeah. But like, it's just, he's just got lots of these little moments where, I don't know, his like tremendous pathos shines through. He's wonderful. Also freaking badass with the, yeah. He's kind. they make him into like an active fighter in this one. And when he yeah. bonks Denethor on the head, takes him out, I'm yeah. like, fuck yeah, Gandalf. That was what- And he's got a little happened. like swirly moment yeah. with his staff <laughs> when he's he really facing down the Witch King. Does the, yeah. the Donnie Yen like, uh, yeah. Yeah. like quarterstaff fighting. Yeah, I was fun. watching some behind the scenes things as one does. And it is mm-hmm. so funny how they all- so echo their characters they were talking about like what mm-hmm. they took from set at the end and vigo's you know like um miranda otto's just like oh i really wanted my sword like so earnest and genuine and then vigo's like i didn't need to take anything it was all in my head and in my heart <laughs> and then ian mckellen's like oh it was the last day in the in uh frodo's house and i turned to elijah and i was like we need to steal whatever we want to take because today's our last day <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is Eowyn, Aragorn, and Gandalf in a nutshell. Yeah, that mischief. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, mischief stays there. I think Fellowship is fun because you get such a high mischief quotient from Mm -hmm. Gandalf, but it never does go away. You're right. The twinkle. A twinkle is absolutely a right way. It's always still there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Our featuring cast for Gondor is the Palantir. Lumpy orc <laughs> and dramatic tomatoes. I'll also say, Ned, do not feel compelled. Those were more just to remind us what but happened. They're in these so plots. fun to me. I mean, <laughs> I don't they're know. important characters. Okay, I'm so yeah. sorry. I don't mean to disrespect the Palantir's performance. Great work for that guest performer. Yeah, the, the yeah. tomatoes are the star of the show. Yeah, the, the tomatoes, <laughs> the tomatoes are the star of the show. And I love, I, I do like Lumpy Orc. Uh, he's he he gets a shout he out for like me in the randos. Yeah, what's his Gothmog? I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, same. Gothmog. Same actor who plays Lurtz. Oh, oh is it different voice? But it's the same guy underneath the uh, underneath the like inches and inches of heavy <laughs> prosthetics. Yeah. I um, do like when he steps aside when that catapult mm-hmm. thing is coming, and you're like, "Oh no, mm-hmm. he's gonna get squished!" And he mm-hmm. does not. He times it well. And he spits on it. He yeah. does not. Yeah. Another character who, if you. Just watch the theatrical. You don't yeah, really know what happens to him. You don't know him. what happened. But he gets a little. He gets a little fight scene with Aragorn and Gimli, yeah. as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go talk about uh, all our our beautiful friends from Rohan who really like had their a special day in the sun. Well, who who, who feature very heavily in in the last one and are sharing uh, screen time a little bit mm-hmm. more this time, but all of whom are still very dear to me. So here we've got, with this sort of grouping, we've got Theoden, we've got Eowyn, we have Mary, who has sort of come to join along with that group, and we have Eomer. Um, <laughs> doing his thing. Doing his thing. Doing his thing, which I guess I'll, I'll maybe I'll start very quickly with Eomer, who kind of like has to be the rude bro in this, the one who's like, Mary can't mm-hmm. come fight. I'm just eat- <laughs> I'm just eating my chicken, but I just can't even get into it about yeah. this, why a hobbit want to be here. But they do let him do his cool spear thing where he kind of throws it spear. and catches it. You talked about it last episode, and this time I was like, that is a cool spear move. It is a cool thing, and they let him. They, they, I think he did it in the last one, and they bring it back here again. His signature move. I would be so mad if I were Carl Urban. Probably not, because he's doing great. But <laughs> um, the scene where he finds Eowyn on the yeah, battlefield think and she's thinks dead. she's dead is so unreal and of course that's not in the theatrical version and he is like 
so good in that scene. Oh my gosh, it is heartbreaking. He's kind of like Faramir in getting he's he's pretty abridged in the theatrical version yeah but you still get i think like faramir you it's still a performance that you get a lot of you feel like the actor has created an inner life even if we are not getting the backstory or whatever like you feel like carl Mm -hmm. urban knows he knows amr inside and out even if the movie is (laughs) not doing a ton with him yeah i agree i'm excited in this segment i feel like i want to hear ned discuss Theoden's arc, and I want to hear Mary Kate discuss Eowyn's arc because my sense is that those are two very important characters to you guys. So I will hand I will hand the wow. floor. Do I give off the vibes that I'm an Eowyn <laughs> girl? I mean, you did Crazy. reveal that you own her sword, so I do <laughs> I think that was a slight a slight uh, hint. <laughs> I'll give was, you a clue, but like tell. who's who's not an Eowyn girl? Were you a book? A book? Did you stand out to you in oh, the book first? Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, like who doesn't like, I don't know, as a female relate mm-hmm. to this entire mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. of her just being like, look, dudes, I <laughs> want to be a part of it. Like, let me do my thing. And the I am no man um, sequence and moment, which is the same in the book as it is in the movies, mm-hmm. is so, so just incredible and wonderful and empowering and uh yeah it's great and i think i love miranda otto as mm-hmm. eowyn i love her as a character like i said before i'm not like super wild about the love triangle just because that sort of takes away from her like she's like she's not into that in the book she's just wanting to be a fighting lady. You feel like it's putting a little too much romance onto an arc that doesn't quite need it. Yeah, that doesn't need it. I understand how they like wanted to keep Arwen more and more alive in mm-hmm. the narrative, uh, you know, so we don't like forget about her, mm-hmm. and also so that you know Liv Tyler's contract is, <laughs> is fulfilled. Our third um, build or whatever she extremely is. well yeah. negotiated contract. <laughs> yeah, so weird. Um, I, I wonder, like, if these movies had been made now, I feel like they wouldn't have done that with Eowyn. Like, I feel like they mm. would have absolutely made her just, like, hardcore yeah. wanting to be a fighting lady. Although I enjoy the sort of camaraderie between her and Aragorn. I do really like that. Yeah. I was going to yes and that and say that I think there is a chance that if they made this now, they would have leaned a little more into the warrior side of her. Yeah. But I almost wonder if that would have been at a detriment to I think some of the interesting layers that Miranda Miranda Otto is playing, which is hmm. like separate from the romance story, she is so motivated by love for mm-hmm. her family mm-hmm. and for the people she knows. Like I had kind of been remembering her as a little more of the like Merida from Brave, I'll be shooting mm-hmm. from my own hand. Like I'm, mm-hmm. like I want to break out of my patriarchal strangleholds, and that yeah. is certainly there. But even more than that, sh- she's like the Mulan arc of like I'm going to war not not yeah. just because I want to be a cool warrior, but because yeah. this is the best way to protect the people my family and my uncle yeah. and my world and like that's it's like a softer motivation and i think that yeah. that is a really cool layer to put on yeah. her a genuine desire to do mm-hmm. good and protect mm-hmm. the trope of like the young woman wants to fight and her like 
father figure doesn't want her to fight is not an unfamiliar one. Although, frankly, like, this may be like in the book, probably this, a this may be this creator is, this is of the a, trope, a nearly yeah. a century old yeah book. Yes, it may be a major creator of that trope. But like, you are right that so often that is done in a way that is so much more uh, antagonistic, and it's like yeah. it's usually conveyed by like a father who like really doesn't see the potential and a like daughter who has a very like defiant streak and you are so i think you're so spot on that like in this uncle niece uh, relationship between theater and, and aon like there's no there's like no like screw you to either of them you know it's just yeah. so it's so compassionate and i do feel i feel um with your book reader observations mary kate like i feel kind of this exact same way i did about uh the like Frodo sending Sam down the stairs where mm-hmm. I'm like, I totally respect the original character intention reasons why you don't love this being in the movie, except that I think the actor like does it so well. Mm-hmm. We talked back when we did our series on, uh, I think it was probably in our Meg Ryan series where it was like rom-coms, rom-coms, rom-coms. And we just talked about like giving good, like romance face, the like being the face you give when you're just like, like playing with your romantic scene partner. I just think she just like crushes it every time she's in scene with Vigo as Aragorn. Mm-hmm. She she's just got that love in her eyes. She's got she that love in her eyes. The way she pines is just so She pines. She pines. Yeah. Oh, she, she pines. pines. Do you know what is <laughs> do you know what is so tough? It's What's one that? thing. It's one thing to be in love with someone and think they like you back and then you're like devastated when you find out they don't. What makes it so tough is when Theoden comes up. He's like, so that's going really well, right? Like, you, he definitely <laughs> likes you. Yes. I'm like, that, happy that makes it hurt a hundred times more that Theoden confirmed. Like, I yeah. I need the Eowyn 10-minute all-too-well Taylor Swift song of, like, her perspective of this entire dynamic oh she God. had with Aragorn, where she was like, it was real. Theoden confirmed. <laughs> there were vibes. You can't deny. And Eowyn point of view uh film is what yeah, i need i yeah. never thought yeah. about that i love that man that would be so fun except like don't speak that into the air because they will make it and it yeah. will not Somebody be will what you it. want it won't be the good movie. as it'll long be. as they cast me oh it'll be God. what i want would you <laughs> would you if you had to play male or female if you had to play a character in lord of the rings would you be going with frodo or would you be going with eowyn I think ultimately I would want to be Frodo. Yeah. But if but I can't. Right. So then I would be be (laughs) But yes, if I could play Frodo, I would want to play Frodo. I don't know why he's so appealing to me. I just love love a tortured hero. (laughs) And they're both a little bit tortured and they're both they have a gentleness. There's a shared gentleness between Frodo. Like a gentle strength to both Frodo and Aowen. Yeah, yeah, they they have some some interesting uh, similarities. Yeah. I wanted to say when you were talking about her, um, so clearly like wanting to do all of this and loving for the love of her family mm-hmm. and her people, which I think is a great point. Um, I love too in terms of like her being this iconic female warrior. Like it's never at the expense of her femaleness Mm -hmm. like she like obviously she dresses up as a soldier and like tricks people um but it's never like oh i have to be less of a woman to be um Mm -hmm. who who i want to be which is a fighter and that is obviously so summed up in what she says i am no Mm -hmm. man like and i i love that because i feel like oftentimes with like those those strong fighty female Mm -hmm. types we kind of fall into that a little bit and that's what's 
one of the many lovely things about her character and yeah. who she is. I think that's a great point. Her relationship with Mary is also so fun. So lovely. So sweet. So lovely. Yeah. And and like Eowyn as in modern terms, you know, she's like, she's a good ally, right? Like she's not just like, I want to get something for myself. She also can extrapolate to like, oh, other people are not being allowed to do what they want to do. I will lift yeah. them up while trying to yeah. lift myself up too. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah, Picks literally. Him up, throws him on a horse. <laughs> She pulls him in a way that is impossible. There's yes. no way she could have done what she does in that, yeah. in that arm shot. Strength. Where she, yeah, like Unreal. what? No. We've we've seen some questionable <laughs> horse mounting physics already in this yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. why stop? It is a now? fantasy. Yeah, yeah that's it right. might it actually be my favorite Dominic Monaghan performance in all three films when he's like, "Yes, my lady." When my he's lady. so excited, he gets so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. cute. Also, that moment of courage for our friends, uh, Mary, when they're on uh, the on the battlefield. Yeah. Oh, they're man. friends. All yeah. their friends. Yeah, they, they just both protest. get it. They just care. Mm-hmm. They just they just see each other. You know, they're like in their yeah. depression, as what yeah. as you were <laughs> right. saying. Eowyn yeah, definitely in, has her intelligent, share of, like, depressed people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Observant. Yeah, and just but also like you know badass. I just it, it just hit me this time that like Theoden's like sorry, none of my riders can bear the burden. Yeah, and, she's and like, then she just does it. I will. Mm-hmm. I'll carry you for three days. Yeah, and like clearly makes it happen. Yeah. Because she gets yeah. there. Were you, are you, um, Mary-Kate, are you, I guess you were not an Eowyn Aragorn shipper. Are you an, were you an Arwen Aragorn shipper? Or you're just not hugely invested in the romantic through line? I don't feel like I'm shipping too much sure. in this. They're doing their this. thing story i do i mean the moment when aragorn and arwen are reunited is very lovely mm-hmm. and very impactful but um yeah i don't and i think that is and maybe part of where my beef not beef but beef comes from is like i love that this story is so ultimately about friendships yeah. and like f- unlikely friendships mm-hmm. and whatever and i think that's what's the most important for me so like feeling like we have to pepper in more romance kind of feels like oh but that's not what this story is about yeah. but not to poo poo like obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. if if somebody is a big shipper and like really loves those then that's fine then too. boy is there like food on the table yeah. for what they want to do you know and it really is it is it is i really i share that same like all or welcome kind of spirit of like whatever you're getting out of this just like yeah drink deep there's lots there you know? if <laughs> yeah, you want to see the like erotic charge between mm-hmm. like these two and right. then these two and then these two you're like yeah right. uh ao and mary why not yeah uh yeah. galadriel and frodo why not <laughs> oh there's plenty there's plenty I, there it did honestly <laughs> did not even occur to me how many ao and mary shippers there must be but i am oh, now yeah, delighted probably. by the thought that that exists yeah but probably right i mean yeah amazing yeah, yeah you know so so uh, like I think that like shipping is like a grand tradition and I don't view it as like, here's the secret intention, like you see it or you're wrong, you know, but I'm just like, it's a fun way to engage with fiction. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think these movies for all of their like, they have a kind of like a chaste purity, which makes it feel forbidden, but they also have this intensity of emotion and tenderness, which makes it feel earned, you know? That is a great descriptor. It's not like what if. Chaste, but intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, while I'm on this topic, I'm like, I don't look at Frodo and Sam and say like, they want a bone. But if you do, I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. Because I look at them and I'm like, these two 
have the utmost devotion to each other, and mm-hmm. neither yeah. of them is holding back, and that is like I powerful agree. To see. That's what I see in it, and I think that's something that like we you don't I don't know. It's really special about this story because yeah. you don't get to you don't get to see that like intense devotion between characters that often, and I think partly because like we've been doing it for three movies, like there's just yeah, it's earned. So yeah, yeah. and. I don't know. I think yeah. it's really special and lovely. And if, like, if to you that is love, great. Awesome. Like, cool. If to you it's just, like, deep, enduring friendship, also mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Like, whatever. It is so old-fashioned in its spirit. Like, Lord yes. of the Rings. It's it's almost kind of crazy to me that it was written and published as recently as, like, the 40s and 50s. Like, it feels yeah. so much older than that. It feels like, it feels like this. Or... Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like this is, is an ancient story. And the intensity, that, like, chaste intensity, Ned, that you describe yeah. is, like, that is what's fueling that sense of, like, old-fashioned. And as you say, Mary-Kate, just, like, not how we're used to stories like this kind of unfolding. And I, maybe that's part of what's made these movies so beloved for so long. Well, I think now there's such a emphasis on like, I don't know, everything's very sarcastic and jokey and whatever. Mm-hmm. And the that- Marvel quippiness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can also ship Iron Man and Captain America, but they're not <laughs> they're not holding, they're not burying their souls to each no. other. Right. No. It's just like, we don't really do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what makes this so lovely and yeah. I don't know, special to me. Like, I, I love it. I love like all of these pictures of just, like deep friendship and mm-hmm. like people not just Frodo and Sam you know Legolas, Legolas and Gimli them, yeah. or yeah all of them just like truly sacrificing for each other yeah. and it's yeah. really lovely well this ties into in a slightly different way but I feel like Theoden's arc in this movie is that sweet Theoden that like old fa- <laughs> <laughs> that old-fashioned intensity more in the direction of like trying to live honorably but I do find that so compelling here as i'm sure ned that you do and i'm excited to yes i love for for starters you have i think his performance in this movie particularly in the theatrical which i watched more recently like is it is primarily a performance of well maybe it's not but what stuck to me was the tenderness for eowyn above all else it's really sweet i know this face oh my god when they bring back i know your face oh my golly i love that call because i just as i said last week i'm obsessed with that moment in two towers when he like when he comes out of old theoden when he comes out of the like the gothic horror spooky possessed theoden and he immediately Mm -hmm. is like so like tears to your eyes and he's i know your face you know Mm -hmm. so to call that back when he's like going to his death is like is uh just like heartbreaking but like yeah. it's so funny that i hadn't thought of this this way caroline but the way you mentioned that he's a foil to denethor like mm-hmm. he's a perfect foil to denethor because like all he does is like love on his family you know yeah he's like so sweet and you know he has conflict he's telling he like forbids eowyn from coming but then when she's there he's like i'm proud of you mm-hmm. i'm happy well i think that dip. also is you know whether or not it's misguided it's out of just wanting to protect her For sure yeah, absolutely and, and yeah. he does say like you should rule rohan in my stead yeah which yeah is pretty yeah. progressive i guess i know i yeah. i had the thought then and i was like i was like you know he does have a case where like 
potentially all of your leaders shouldn't go into battle together. Yeah, potentially yeah. the uh, the crisis of uh, of like a Succession. vacuum of leadership in Rohan is yeah. worse than the crisis of not having one more soldier on the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. again, she kills the Witch King of Angmar. So True. you know, it, it, her actions, her, her the wisdom of her decisions is borne out by yeah. the, uh, the events that transpire. Um, it, it's that uh, dimension of it that I really enjoy. Um, after so loving his sort of like his martial struggles in the last one, but I also do really love the follow through of his like he's just like grappling with his place in history, not mm-hmm. in a vain egotistical way, but like I mean, it kind of reminds me of like the thing, and I haven't seen the new Black Panther movie, but the way that like they they kind of do this with T'Challa as like a king figure, he's being mm-hmm. like, I want to honor the legacy of like what this role means i just think like theoden this idea of like him just like not being ashamed to go into the company of his like forefathers is really like that's a sweet thing because it's so grounded through all of it and like him being racked with indecision over like what's the best way to like serve his people and Mm -hmm. it's less his like what do i do what do i do in this movie which is more in the last one but he still is facing difficult decisions and uh, giving good face and good line delivery. And I just, I think he's a, good, a great actor, Bernard, yeah. Bernard Hill, in a great role. And yeah, uh, I love I love when he's on screen. I also think, and this, this ties into both the Sam Frodo stuff and the Aragorn stuff. But if the theme of the last movie was like, the war is coming and you have to decide where your allegiances lie... The theme of this movie is like the war is here and there is a unique power that comes when you go into it willing to die, mm. which is really like that's where Sam and Frodo get to. That's where the writers of Rohan get to. That's like what Aragorn's willing to do at the end. But that moment of like the big charge in the Pelennor Fields battle, it is like the orcs are overwhelmed, right? Like they're not expecting the writers of Rohan to be so strong, but it's because they are they're not just in it for a strategic battle. They're like, this is the end for us, so we're going to give it all. That's like the power that Theoden's bringing. Because like one minute earlier, Theoden's riding up and down the line going, death, death, <laughs> and everybody goes, death. It's like, I can't believe they make that, like that on the screen, on the script. You're like, mm-hmm. wait, are these the good guys? He screams death yeah. and everybody says like death back at him. But it just, it's, uh, it's pretty bleak. But the way that like, yeah, it's just like. It's them there on their, like, beautiful horses with their lovely warm costumes being like, we're here. There's nothing There's nothing more important than for us to, like, be here. And, oh, man, that – when that scene where the Rohirrim, like, ride and the, like, violin Rohan theme comes back. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. Oh, love Rohan. Yeah, Rohan is amazing. Um, the vibes are extremely good with everything that has to do with Rohan. The horses are awesome. The behind-the-scenes featurettes about, like, just being like, everyone in New Zealand who owns a horse, please come here and we will cloak you up. And they're like, yeah. half of the half of the Rohirrim and that are women who have had, like... Our ladies. Yeah, they've yeah. had beards oh, put on cool. and hair and makeup. I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah. like wow, all you know, the all the little Aowins out there. Yeah, it's, I know. Yeah, it's like it's so fun. it is fun. It's like in this story where like most of the lead characters are men, and the, like in the story, like all the all the you know soldiers would be men except for her out there. But actually, it's like half women because like half the yeah. horse owners in New Zealand who volunteered to come be in the movie were women, and they're like, cool. "We're gonna ride. You're gonna ride your own horses. We're gonna go to hair and makeup. They're gonna give you like a beard." <laughs> It's just a great, it's a great scene. I agree. It's so good. 
Our featured player here is the Witch King. I don't know, not a ton to say performance-wise. Really, like, just a cool <laughs> costume. Great yeah, props great costume. Design. Great look. Yeah. Great, uh, mm-hmm. great villain to be slain. He serves his purpose as Absolutely. Yeah. ultimate badass that anyone yeah. can take down. He shows up, you're yeah. like, this guy sucks. The Nazgul suck. I want to mm-hmm. see him get stabbed in his face mm-hmm. by Eowyn, and that yeah. happens. So what's not to like? So good. All right. We've Caroline, gotta, I think it's your turn. I was about to say, we can't, I've, we've got to leave enough Return of the, the end to <laughs> yeah get to our titular king. I feel like I've been trying to pace myself throughout this podcast series to like have some Aragorn takes at the end. Well, release the river, as Treebeard would say. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. I think, I think plot wise, this might actually be Aragorn's like weakest movie. I don't really find the recruiting the army of the dead that compelling. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of like it operates on a sort of high fantasy level that I think is less interesting than the pseudo historical battle stuff he got I love to do ghost stuff but it's not it's not the yeah, best part it's just of the not trilogy for sure that aside though i feel like aragorn as a character and particularly the way he is depicted as this sort of like reluctant leader in these movies i think he's the type of character where you feel like he is just a type that exists in movies. You're like, right, oh yeah, yeah, Aragorn. Like that's a type in the way that like Luke Skywalker is a type that is repeated in a lot of movies or whatever. I actually think though he is so unique. Like I actually don't think there are any real characters that are comparable to the interesting amalgamation of this super noble guy that Tolkien wrote this reluctant hero arc that the movie adds to it, and then the sort of magic of the Vigo Mortensen performance, the way that all blends together. One time I I tried to one time to describe <laughs> through other characters what Aragorn's like, and the closest I came up with was like Prince Hal meets Robin Hood meets Han Solo meets the kindest, gentlest Jane Austen romantic leading man. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like those are kind of the the combo that gets Aragorn And that's why I will also really stand up for the Aragorn-Arwen romance as key to setting Aragorn apart from this other mold of just traditional reluctant heroes, Mm -hmm. who I think would be more likely to have a sort of sparky human humanizing relationship right like you get the han solo with the princess leia that kind of dynamic or even the robin hood and the maid mary and it's like let's get this really fun lusty flirty dynamic but actually putting him in this chaste but intense um romance that exists on this classical medieval level that just like modern romances don't exist on i think is the one of the sort of elements in the secret sauce of what is elevating Aragorn into this completely unique Mm -hmm. creation of these movies and like a big part Mm -hmm. of why he's the thing that I'm connecting to above all else. I think that's also fair. I honestly haven't really thought about him in this specific way until hearing you say that. And I do love that he is like, I mean, everybody thinks of Aragorn and they think of him coming in the door in the towers and like (laughs) grimy and like he's so... He's so manly, mm-hmm. but he is, you are right, so gentle and so quiet. Mm-hmm. And I love that about him. I love like this, this like tent pole of masculine hero energy who is also so quiet and so thoughtful mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. 
um, gentle. Yeah. And I don't think we get that a lot, especially in action-y yeah. type yeah. movies. And he gives the big, you know, the speech I quoted at the top where it's like, but it is not this day. But his mm-hmm. ultimate rallying cry is just the like turning to his friends and being like, for Frodo. For Frodo. <laughs> it's so yeah. gentle and moving. And I'm very intrigued by this idea that like, because uh, Arwen Eowyn has, like, that relationship has kind of had its, its that, that's gotten a lot of, like, airtime on this series so far. The but, debate of the love triangle. But I think that mm-hmm. your, like, your argument that this sort of, like, long-standing commitment of Aragorn Arwen is, makes a lot of sense to me. And I, it, I think that something that I vibe with about it i mean you know the arwen a when that is that like spark thing of like ooh, met a new person ooh, there's something here you mean the arwen the aragorn a thank you thank yeah. you yes no, that was that they're was all the ultimate. same name <laughs> yes arwen mm-hmm. and, yes the aragorn a mm-hmm. thing is that spark relationship you talk about and i as i've said i am a fan of that being in here to kind of like create some dramatic like uh pull some tension but they do something interesting with arwen aragorn had to think about it. Yes, that's who I <laughs> yeah, mean. Yeah, you got it. To suggest, like, they've got so much history. Like, all we see here is, like, the last, like, 5% of their relationship. The, like, final mm-hmm. act. Like, they're at a pivotal moment. But it is interesting, and I think you're right, pretty rare, to come into a very long story saying, like, this relationship is already about as solid as it can get. Like, mm-hmm. they're affection for each other is really total um and they're sort of like long-standing commitment to each other and yeah it it relies on it is a little bit more of a tell than show but as it fits into i'm interested in it as as you say as an ingredient in secret sauce mm-hmm. um i also do think it really hit me this time the arc of like in the first movie like he's hiding out in taverns and he, like, does his final fight scene with, like, just a few of his friends. And in the second movie, he, like, he fights with the armies that are, like, participating in these larger political, like, military movements. But he fights on the front lines as a soldier. And only in this movie, even after Pelinar Fields, where he does kind of the same thing, he's kind of, like, just a guy boots on the ground. After that, after that conversation in the halls of Gondor, where he is, like... He has the idea, like, we have to ride out. We have to mm-hmm. go and, like, meet them at the Black Gate. That's when it kind of, like, the whole king business, like, mm-hmm. really clicks in for him. Like, yeah. he leads the forces in the pivotal, like, strike on on Mordor. You know, he is, like, and, and then when he gets out there, like, he gives the speech, you know. He mm-hmm. rallies the troops. He, like, is addressing an army now. And, uh, and like that, like three movie long arc from willful anonymity into like, I, I'm a king, except that I, I am the king Mm -hmm. and I'm ready to return. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the nobility of, if a lot of this is about like, what, what is your motivation for being a leader? And like Denethor is motivated in a bad way and Theoden, like it takes a minute to get there, but ultimately is the good way. Like Aragorn is the purest distillation of. Mm-hmm. I am motivated to be a leader because not because I want power, but because mm-hmm. it's almost like he doesn't want power. He has to be talked into wanting the power. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him such yeah. a good leader. And it hit me yeah. this time having that arc and also having the subtitles on that like 
he steps out there and like it kind of is a shot where he like looks through the gate at the at the eye of Sauron up in the tower and Sauron says like LSR like it whispers mm-hmm. which is it like recognizing him he basically goes like toe to toe with Sauron yeah. and he's not afraid and then he turns around and says like for Frodo let's do it for the because yeah. he goes all the way on that arc from just being like one guy with his little friends to like leading this army but he still is actually connected back I'm for our listeners I'm doing hand gestures and trying to speak <laughs> he's still like linked up with his people and I do think that makes him a really great character and a great performance man it's just so good it's so good it's just one of the most impactful moments ever yeah I mean I clearly love it because you love Frodo you want everything to be <laughs> for Frodo this is for Frodo you're like that's my guy but yeah but also just like imagine somebody else in this role like yeah. Vigo is it's just on another level. Yeah. He's just so good. In the behind the scenes thing, they talked about shooting the final day of pickup. So this would be like years after they had done the, you know, the uh, the original filming. But this was actually the final, final day. And I think it's, again, our friend Dominic Monaghan, so good at describing things, who was like, I could tell Vigo was nervous, but he was nervous because he understood how important he was to the entire, like, yeah. crew and cast. And then all of the stunt performers, a lot of whom are obviously from New Zealand, they did this whole haka dance that is like normally reserved, they said, for like kings and political dignitaries. But he was that important to the set in that they were like, he basically was our king. Like we had to do this dance to honor him. And I was (laughs) crying watching this like sense of how like, how again, like secret sauce, like behind the scenes that he is kind of serving that same role that. Aragorn serving on screen. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Can I do quick hit Aragorn thoughts? Please. His little red tunic with black vest that he wears in the early parts of like when they're kind of chilling in Rohan. Yeah. That's my favorite Aragorn look. Cool. Um, my least favorite Aragorn look is actually not when he gets full beardy at the end, which is... I once heard someone say that that's upsetting in the way the beast turning back into a human being is like upsetting. <laughs> but I actually I'm okay with that look. What I don't like is the is the going final going into battle look where he gives the big speech in the four Frodo moment. I don't think Vigo can pull off a half up half down. I think that's what's throwing it off. I gotta look this up again. And once he's back to beardy but like straight hair, I think we're okay. But That's very funny. yeah, I don't. I think that that um, I struggle with that. <laughs> I struggle with that. A half up, half down. Not he. He's wearing it in this in the scene too, where Frodo like wakes up the whole like bedroom uh-huh. sequence, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 we can't get this off. Vigo. it's not. It's Gandalf it's, can pull it off. Legolas weird. can yeah. pull it off. It's not. Yeah, for Aragorn. I think it's a little not to get all. You just want him to be grimy, and it's a, like we want a little it, more grime. It works on Legolas because he's such a lovely, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lovely light and flowy boy, <laughs> you know. Yes, but exactly you, it's not really working it's on not Aragorn. for Aragorn. Yeah, and yeah. I, I do just want to take a quick moment here. I guess that maybe this will be our transition into just like general thoughts on the ending, or anything that we've missed. But like the Arwen Aragorn reunion moment. I love so much. It might, it's like a top five scene in the whole trilogy for me, I would say. And I, again, watching this behind the scenes thing. So they shot a version of that in the actual original filming they did in like 2000. 
They said it was a really chaotic last day. They did Aragorn's, co- they did Vigo's co- coverage. And then for Liv's coverage, they almost were just like, well, you could just kiss like his stand in. And she was like, hell no. Like, no I'm, way. it's my final scene. And so they filmed it then. And it was actually just a very like chaste um, kiss, like a, there's little footage of it. It's very disappointing. And so they did pickups. Peter Jackson was like, yeah, that wasn't good at all. And so they spent like a whole day, I think, just filming this kiss sequence. And Movie making is so weird, but go on. <laughs> I think that work really shows because that little moment, which there's no dialogue in that whole thing, but it conveys an entire story that is just on Liv Tyler and Viggo Mortensen's face that I think is kind of an echo of the you bow to no one moment we get in a minute. But it's the sense of her coming in and she's like, a lot of things have changed for both of us. Like, I'm kind of immortal now. You're, I am a mortal, not immortal. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he's a king. And there's this humbleness and this, like, anxiety to her. And like, oh, should I treat you differently? And his pure reaction of like, girl, what are you doing? Like, everything's the same. I love you so much. Into the almost, like, shockingly human kiss. Like, maybe the most just unexpectedly human thing Aragorn does in the whole series is so good and sweet and satisfying. And I love it. I agree. It is a wonderful scene. He's got this look of like almost pain, like relief on his face when they pull apart. It's just, yeah, it's good. It's definitely good. You got a pivotal romance. Like nail it. You don't gotta nail that kiss, but you kind of do. And they do. So yeah. Um, any shout outs for uh, uh, speaking of power couples Legolas and Gimli <laughs> <laughs> gotta give them a shout out they're that great. was good man <laughs> they're kind of still doing their Legolas and Gimli thing mm-hmm. you know they yeah. just they just elevate it you know it's what is sliding down a stairs when you could slide off a dying <laughs> gigantic elephant I think I love uh, you know never thought I would die side by side with a elf how about a friend like it's a great like you're talking about Mary Kate the ultimate payoff for just all these beautiful friendships that we've seen ugh yes yeah they're <laughs> good so yeah let's let's talk let's talk climaxes and we've 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 discussed some of them a number of bits and I know that I I ended up running away talking about endings a lot in the first. Uh, you know, 15 minutes of this now, uh, now almost two hour long podcast, but, um, (laughs) but so yeah. Um, any, any further, further thoughts about the, uh, that like March to the black gate of Mordor, the battle that happens there? Well, is there, or can we circle back to any Sam Frodo stuff that we haven't covered since that's what we started with? I just think so satisfying and great all the stuff they get to do here at the end. I agree. And I think the like having both of the things happening at the same time mm-hmm. is just so good. And again, not to be all booky, the book does you can't do that because the first half is with um, Aragorn and that camp, and then the second half is with Frodo and Sam. And so it's just really fun to see them juxtaposed like that and happening at the same time. Yeah, very intense. It definitely feels like, as we say, like they just they stick the landing of all the sort of like emotional arcs and questions that they've got and. You really, as a first-time watcher, I mean, I, I, I've been sort of making fun of myself for being like, oh, I actually genuinely believe the first time I saw Two Towers that, like, Pippin got crushed to death by a horse. Like, when you're watching these for the first time, if you are if you haven't read the books, like, you do have that question of, like, how will this end? Maybe Frodo, like, is the villain at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full of course Daenerys. he's not, because, you know, you know, but that would, yeah, but, but I was like... They sell it, you know, and the music yeah. blasts that like full choir, like howls and uh Yeah. And such a nice um I love I love Sean Astin's the little monologue where they've 
he's just been so brave the whole time. And that when he kind of lets himself break of like, man, I really wish I got to live in Mary Rosie Cotton. Like, it's really the one time where he's not even complaining, but he is being sadder than he has allowed himself to be the entire time. And it's so heartbreaking. And then the fact that he does get to live and he does get to Mary Rosie Cotton is just amazing yeah he just like that it would have been her it would have been yeah, her it's it just like been her. it just sells it home that it's like we could have had we've said this multiple times this episode but like as you said Mary Kate, like we could have just had a nice life in the shire and instead we had to go on this miserable ass journey and die on a volcano in order to save everyone in the entire world but like I can't pretend I don't wish, I can't pretend I wouldn't have liked doing that other thing. Yeah. And then just like their tenderness with each other is so sweet. I also love that when they actually do get back to the Shire, I love the way Peter Jackson films it where we know that Sam gets up to do something with Rosie Cotton, presumably kiss her, who knows, but like he doesn't show that. He shows the reactions reaction. of the other hobbits. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so, so cute. it's such a fun way to yeah. play it. And that that scene is just awesome because you get the stuff back in the Shire is really, really well handled because as you say, like there's this growing sense of like it's all better, but like why does it feel like it's not all mm-hmm. better? Mm-hmm. And I remember that like feeling that discontent the first time, this like instinctive, like, wait, I thought I was gonna get to see like, you know, the end of like Star Wars where it's like we throw a gigantic party with the Ewoks and mm-hmm. like, you know, we just feel great now. And so to see them be back at the bar looking around and having that again, like that thing, like you've come back from the war and like, you see nobody is ever gonna know what we yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. None of these people are ever gonna know. And that's like And even if you explained it to them, they wouldn't understand it. Wouldn't get it. Yeah. yeah. And the way that like they do what a group might do there, which is redirect their energy to like having this like, oh wait, Sam is gonna go. Yeah, yeah, him looking up and being like, I went to the fucking end of the world and back. Like, yeah. I'm not I'm not messing around on this anymore. I'm going to go talk to yeah. her right now. Yeah. That's <laughs> really great. Yeah, and then into the, like, the final goodbyes. I, I love that Bilbo comes back. Like, again, I don't feel like there's too many endings. I love that it's like we started with Bilbo. We're going to end with him. And the little, like, proto goodbye is just so... I don't know. It's so that's where I think you get the uh, Elijah Wood maturity that you mentioned earlier, Mary Kate, where mm-hmm. it's just like he understood that the best way to do this was to kind of spring it on them. Like it actually would have been worse if he had been telling Sam, okay, I'm going to, you know, do this. He's like, mm-hmm. there's just such a wisdom to that. And mm-hmm. it's so sad, but it feels like right. You know, it feels like, oh, this is how the story had to end. I think. That's one of the things I love so much about this story as a whole is just, I don't know, the bittersweetness Mm -hmm. of all of it and the, like, not quite happy ending of it. Like, you know, none of the main characters die, but none of them are, you know, like, it feels real. It feels like... They're all changed. It has, yeah, it has, like, a very human element to it that doesn't... I think is hard to replicate in in other stories of like either going too much one way or to the other. It feels very like, wow, we did the thing. We got we got the ending we wanted, but it doesn't quite feel like mm-hmm. you wanted it to. Yeah. And it's so sad. Yeah. I mean, but like but like relatable and, and wonderful and sweet. I think bittersweet is exactly the right the right term yeah. for it. Because it is sweet yeah. and it is bitter. Like in the truest sense, it's both of those yeah. things. 
Yeah. Another, while we're behind the scenes tidbits, Emily was telling me that they had to film that scene three times because the first time somebody like came back from lunch break and forgot to put their vest on. I think it was Sean Astin. It was Sean, Sean Astin. Astin. <laughs> Although, I will say, uh-huh. not his job. No, his no, job. True, no, no. True, true. I thought you were no. about to say, <laughs> I thought you were about to say that the thing Sean Astin said to you that you said you'd never reveal <laughs> is, it was not my fault that I was wearing the wrong costume. It could have been, but it really wasn't. I mean, like, yeah, right. he should have no, that was, Somebody should have. Where, yeah, exactly. where was the wardrobe person? Actors are supposed to be focused on the acting. Something that's about yeah. their appearance, that is, you're right. You hear something like that and you're like, oh my gosh, how could he, whatever. But then after you've worked on a few sets, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Like <laughs> there's, just, there's just too many things in your brain. It's, yeah. it's, so, it's, it's funny to think about the like, this is a movie set sometimes. So as, as I mentioned, I, yeah. I got to be on a, a movie set today and I was like thinking about it when I was looking at the You Bow to No One scene, which is this like great impactful moment and like thinking about how the habits were standing in front of a green screen somewhere so they could be composited onto the top of Mm -hmm. Minas Tirith and just thinking how like before this moment happened somebody said like okay we're gonna do a take all right settle all right stop work all right and I'm like they made a movie the same way that we make movies but I don't know it doesn't feel like that I don't somehow they made this thing that was the last thing they shot You'd bow to no one was? Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. Vigo wasn't called because he wasn't on screen, but he came anyway to read oh, the lines opposite them. And there's footage nice. of him. He's wearing like a paper crown, <laughs> even though he's off camera. And they and the, and increasingly, they said with each take, people would just come and like add silly things. He's like wearing a ridiculous looking paper That's crown so to sort of be reading the line to them on their final day as hobbits. So sweet. We're jumping around the endings, but I, I, I will jump now a little bit in the past and say, um, bedside ending scene. I do think oh is a little. I don't think it works. Super a little cheesy. Great. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's something about it doesn't feel like it carries like the stakes. I think we shouldn't have heard him saying their names. Uh huh. The like Legolas. Yeah. <laughs> Gimli. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the slow motion dialogue, it's I think. Weird. With Elijah yeah. Wood having to say something slower. It's also like in the last <laughs> shot when it zooms out and you have four four adult men looking at clearly like nothing. And yeah. like Dom Monaghan like flops. It was I had to I, I clicked yeah, back he to watch like this. Explodes. He does this like explode flop onto the bed that doesn't register in anyone's eyes, and you just really get a sense of the like compositedness of the shot. So it's a good yeah, thing weird. that the scenes that follow it really actually uh-huh. do stick the yeah. landing. Well, you said something earlier, Mary Kate, where you're like, Oh yeah, obviously there's there's like qualms and problems, but it's perfect. And that's how yes. I feel every time there's yes. a problem with Lord of the Rings, I'm like, Yeah, that's ridiculous yes. and cheesy and it doesn't work. But also yes. it's perfect to be to be that because that's what lord of the rings is that is totally it it's truly like i i genuinely feel like these movies are a miracle like i think they are miraculous in how well they all came together considering now just the amount of money they had and expectations and everything that was sort of stacked against them and just how hard it is to make a movie it's hard it's so hard and what they did is just unbelievable and the fact that now they're 20 years old and yeah there's like a couple things that that could look a little better but like for the most part they look just as amazing as they did when they first came out it's 
it's just so awesome. But yeah, there are moments where you're like, well, uh, we just, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's part of the okay. magic too. That's yeah. part of the yeah, magic too. You it's need true. the You need the It feels a little more human. Yeah, yeah exactly. And every year that goes by and every new blockbuster that comes out, they feel more miraculous, not less. Yes, that truly. Cool. Truly. Yeah. I agree. So at this point, a f- the floor is open for additional shout outs uh, for bit parts, extras, and also additional shout outs for favorite scenes and moments. I remembered one. Go for mm. it. The lighting of the beacons is like my oh. favorite. My favorite. I don't know. I said last time my favorite scene in the trilogy is Theoden being unpossessed. That might be true because it's so acting focused. But just in terms of like some of the most transcendent things about this film, this franchise outside of the acting are the like stunning beauty of New Zealand, mm-hmm. the amazing score by Howard Shore and the like high fantasy world as like a hopeful allegory for humanity and was like the lighting of the beacons i cannot cannot i've never watched that scene or even heard that song without getting Mm -hmm. goosebumps up and down my arm and uh and yeah it it brings tears to my eyes it just like i just want to like stand up and cheer Mm -hmm. and the great button of aragorn running in and saying gondor calls for aid yeah begins a let of of aragorn doing again again aragorn doing his extremely silly looking run like up the steps (laughs) to the hall of gondor but because he's so excited yes but it's perfect beacons are coming in a darker a darker but um also a moment that involves fire i kind of love denethor just being on fire and running off running off the cliff that cliff it's like so eerie it's a payoff Freaky. Yeah, but like visually compelling and yes it is and it looks amazing like that shot looks incredible i agree um not a scene but we would be remiss to not mention uh brett mckenzie who of course plays figlet who yeah, is of course Figlet's one half bad. of flight of the <laughs> flight of the concords who right. gets to speak in return of the king great shout out because we did mention him in our fellowship episode but now we yeah. get the full oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the full circle the full figlet the full figwit the full figwit ladies and gentlemen nothing less than the full figwit or your money back should we name our our lords of the film I think it's time the lord of the film your single favorite performance from Return of the King Mary Kate is making an amazing face uh, reflecting the impossibility of this task the impossibility I'll go real quick because I feel like mine's kind of a cheat I think if I were actually truly playing by the rules of this game or for this movie alone, I think I would give it to Billy Boyd as Pippin, like so compelling and surprising. But I can't have gone three movies and never have given this award to Viggo Mortensen. So I just have to give an honorary Lord of the Film to the king himself, Viggo Mortensen, never never matched as Aragorn. Uh, and for that, that Arwen scene alone, he's my Lord of the Film. I think I'm going to go Sam. Um, Sean Astin as Sam just he just gets better every film and the moments he delivers in this many of which I've cited already are tremendously impactful he is the sort of head forward simple focused beating heart of the film carried forward by devotion to his friend and a promise he made to a wizard and I love him (laughs) he's my lord of the film great choice I agree. Your friend and mine, Lord of the Film, Sean Astin. Astin. You're going to second that one as well? I will second that. Is that okay? Do I have to? Oh, no, not at all. Truly, I think, robbed for an Oscar nomination for this movie. 
really wish he had gotten that. I can't carry it, but I can carry you. He is the beating the beating heart of the whole trilogy in a yes. big way. Totally. 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. He just goes through it and he feels it all. You got to have a good Sam. And it's right that we, yeah, and that we get to end on him, you know, like that that he is the final thing we see. It's not Frodo. It's Sam gets to go on and continue to live his little life. And that's where we, we leave the movies. And what a lovely place to leave the movies and to leave this awesome, super fun series of podcasts, including with today's episode. You suggested the idea some time ago, Caroline, and I've been looking forward to it. And <laughs> I've just been so happy with how fun these conversations have been. Um, so I don't know, maybe one day we'll return with a Hobbit or Rings of Power series. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but for now, we're going to say goodbye to Middle Earth. Uh, but first, we want to thank Mary-Kate for helping us finish the final leg of our journey. Thank you so much, Mary-Kate. We could not have done it without you. Thank you. Where can our listeners find you? And is there anything you'd like to tell them about? Yeah, I just truly thank you so much. There's nothing I want to do more than talk about Lord of the Rings. And <laughs> I don't really get that many chances to do it. So thank you for having me. This was a delight. Um, you can find me, I'm Mary Kate Wiles at MK Wiles on most social medias. I would love for you, if you have not, to go over to Shipwrecked Comedy's YouTube channel and watch our new 10 part series. It's called Headless A Sleepy Hollow Story. It is a modern, loose adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Uh, it's about two and a half hours in total. I spent the better part of the last year of my life working on it, and I am very uh, proud of it, and I think it's quite fun. And I'll echo that. We'll link it in our show notes so people can find Thank it you. easily. And I will say, such a fun watch. It's like Thank you. Parks and Rec meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But then with like absurdist uh, yeah. headless horsemen. I like that. I haven't heard those specific ones, but we'll take that. Parks and Rec is me and Sean's favorite show ever. We usually describe it as a little pushing daisies meets uh-huh. Shits Creek yes. meets a uh, series of unfortunate events. Your perfect mix of like fun comedy, small town weirdness. Then spooky mystery. Very good gothic horror, yes. which is a yeah. great flavor. Exactly. Oh, so fun. You. Would highly recommend everybody check it out. I will also now petition you to give us a Polly Tahoe uh, spinoff oh. series. I would happily watch that if you guys are looking for inspiration for. Isn't he fun? <laughs> so he fun. was the surprise uh, hit, I will say. Lots of Polly Tahoe fans. So uh, great. I think there. he shows up, what, in like episode seven or eight or something. So, uh-huh. so people have such, such so many things to look forward to in, uh, in Headless. Thank you. Thank you. At this point, we're also going to just say a general like Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and thank you to everybody who listens to our show. We don't do this very often, but I think we're extremely appreciative that uh, that people tune in. That to anyone listen to, would listen. To that us. anyone would listen to <laughs> us and our and our friends, old and new, uh, talk about movies. But we really enjoy doing it. And if literally no one listened, we would probably enjoy it less. Uh, <laughs> we'd still do something like it, but it would be tougher. So thank you so much for that. We're going to take a little bit of break now undefined but uh we will be back in the new year we expect with more roll calling content we have some fun ideas that we would love to bring to reality but for the time being everybody take yourself a nice break sometime in the next few weeks because i'm sure you all deserve it and rewatch lord of the rings if you if you want to i feel like we've all proven that it is a perfect series to rewatch at any time of year but particularly I like it around a new a New Year's uh, Lord of the Rings watch. That was often a, 
a time for me. As many times per year as you like. Um, if you're an <laughs> HBO Max haver, the theatrical and extended editions mm-hmm. are on there. If you're a Blu-ray buyer, go get them. I got them <laughs> on eBay pretty reasonably not long ago. So Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Sita. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wansersky. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at Roll Calling, or you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's Roll, R-O-L-E. We will be back next year with more actors and more podcast episodes. Until then... Don't go where I can't follow. Perfect. That's great. I like it, and I liked the accent. Thank you. Ha, 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 ha.